Hey everybody, it's time for episode 103 of the Rotto Talks Through podcast. And hello everybody, how are you doing? We're about to hit the uh, hit the show as every month where first I'll talk about game-related questions and then Jen will join us normally for some more game-related questions and some personal Q&A. But here's the deal, folks. For episode 103... I think this is the smallest amount of mail that has shown up at questions at rotto.com as I've maybe ever seen since the, I first started. I get, you know, I'm, I understand, you know, obviously holidays, people are really kind of focused on stuff, but, and that's okay. Hey, it just means we're potentially going to have a shorter episode than normal. Um, although, here's the deal. What I'm thinking we're going to do is, folks, because there are literally no game-related questions that Jen could answer. Uh, so I've only got a few questions that I can answer. I think just six. So that's going to go by pretty quick. And then there are only two personal questions, which are really just the same question. So to make this a longer episode than um, what we would normally get, because I don't think we'd make, quite make an hour, what we're going to do is, um, after we get through all the Q&A, uh, if you, as the personal um, section continues, Jen and I will do a point by point breakdown of our trip so far. We we, we left in late October. It's uh, October, November, December. We've been gone for almost two months now, and so we will pad out our runtime by telling you about all our adventures as we have headed south. Um, which could have been something that somebody would have asked, but that's okay. We are we're we're definitely gonna um, get you a full length podcast by hook or by crook. But before we do that, like I said, comes in the personal section. We're gonna go to the uh, game section, folks. And um, before we get that, I'm just gonna say once again. Please send questions to questions at rotto.com um, because without you asking those questions, we don't have a show. So anyway, without any further ado, let's get to it right after this. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker. You'll find what you came for here, and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Alrighty, here we go. We are starting out with Dan, who says, I listened to a recent Q&A where you talked about how some people complain, boycott even, videos on your channels that are done by one of your collaborators rather than you. I'm not one of those people. I think you have great collaborators. Uh, but I found that my board game tastes align uh, more closely with you and Kimberly than anyone else. I've watched plenty of Shay videos, and I'm more inclined to skip one when I see it's from Shay or Amy and Maggie than if it's you running through it. I've definitely been burned by this, though. For instance, when I saw Amy and Maggie ran through Plants Anubo, my first thought was, huh! Surprised Robo passed on a Ro- uh, Rotto passed on a Rosenberg game with a solar punk theme, but he didn't even want to play it, so then I'm probably not going to like it. It wasn't until later that I saw that you were interested and found the time to go back and watch their wonderful run-through. How would you feel about making your internal bids on what to cover public? Even if it's just for Patreon backers, it'd be really great screening data point to help viewers with me, like me decide what to watch. Thank you so much for your and your whole team's uh, great work. Well, I kind of already do that, Dan, in a couple of ways. First of all, uh, if you're a Patreon, thank you very much. When I post the uh, run-throughs from everybody to Patreon, um, I actually describe what the video is. 
right? I say, well, okay, with this one we got uh, Ruel looking at this game or that game or blah, blah, blah. And when I'm writing those up, and these are messages only Patreon backers see, although actually that's not true, anybody can go to patreon.com slash rotto and see these descriptions. You can even subscribe to my feed on patreon.com. You don't have to pay a penny, and you'll get notice of every single thing that goes on in Rotto land. Uh, you just won't get access to the paid exclusive stuff. But anyway, in those, I do try to point out that, oh yeah, I mean, this is a game I definitely wanted to play, but I didn't have a copy of it, and Shay did. Like, you mentioned Plants Anubo. It kills me that I'm probably not going to get to play that game until maybe April of next year, if I'm lucky. Um, Amy and Maggie had a copy of it from, uh, you know, going to Essen Spiel, and I wanted to see the game as much as anybody else, so I said, hey, could you do a run-through? And like I said, they did a fantastic run-through. Um, Shay... Back to back, his last two run-throughs on the channel were for uh, Kutnahora and Evacuation. Two heavy, crunchy Euro games that have every opportunity to make it into my personal top ten of the year. Um, it's just, again, I didn't have a chance to film them because we were hitting the road, uh, so I could be where I am right now in this RV. And I did want to get them on the channel, so I literally had my... I mailed my copies down to um, L.A. so that he could cover them. Hey, wait a minute. Jen is not here yet. I need to turn off the Jen. Say goodbye to the little picture of Jen right there, folks. She will show up later in the personal Q&A section where we talk about all of our misadventures on the road. All right, anyway, sorry. sorry. So, um, I do... I, and maybe I don't do as good a job as I should. I will definitely take this on board and redouble my efforts to point out when I post these to Patreon, and I'm describing, hey, what's this video so you know whether you want to watch it or not? And by the way, this is a game that I am personally very keen on playing. Because you're right. Shay also covers Ameritrashy-style games, like he recently covered Nemesis as well. And I don't care about that at all. Um, and so I totally get why, you know, but... Uh, yeah, uh, I, that's, that's the, I think that's what I'm going to do. It sounds like what you're asking for is what I'm already doing. I just probably need to redouble my efforts to make it super clear that, you know, if you might have dismissed this because I didn't cover it, hey, I wanted to cover it. And I'm, I'm, I'm just basically paying them to cover it for me. Because don't forget, I mean, um, you know, the publishers aren't covered. I mean, I'm, I'm paying them to cover these videos because I want to see these games as well, just like you. Um, anyway, though. Oh, and then there's one other thing I do as well. I don't know if you know. But every Sunday, I do the weekly Rotto Recap Show. And on that, I describe what new videos went on the channel over the preceding seven days. And if it's a video from Kimberly or Ruel or Amy and Maggie or Shay, I will actually try to describe why I am excited about that game, if, if it's at all appropriate. And I think, and maybe I need to redouble my efforts there too. I will try to do so. But I think I'm pretty clear. I mean, I often make a joke. Uh, you know, if you go back and watch my recaps, I'll say something like, I am so jealous. This is definitely something I wanted to cover um, when Shea covers Evacuation or Kutnahora. Or, I mean, heck, I mean, this started a couple of years ago when he did a, the run through for Carnegie that I wanted to do, but I wasn't able to do it. So he stepped in and he did it. Hope he didn't miss out on the great Carnegie run through because it's phenomenal. It was in my top 10 of the year, but I didn't do the run through of it. Um, so, I will take on board what you're saying and redouble my efforts to make sure that that is clear. But you've got two opportunities. Um, if anybody can subscribe to my Patreon feed. It doesn't cost a cent, so you'll hear my thoughts about the stuff there. And then also, there's the weekly Rotto Recap Show. Alrighty, next up, we have George, who says, Recently, I think after listening to an episode of your podcast, a question came up that I could not let go. Uh, for you... 
What does it mean that a game is a killer of a specific other game? For example, in recent Final Thoughts, you implied that Wondrous Creatures is an Everdale killer. Uh, you didn't use the exact phrase, if I recall correctly, though. Uh, from other sources, I've often heard of the Dominion killers, Lost Ruins of Arnak killers, etc. Uh, the term seems to be applied to games that share a certain set of features. In your opinion, how similar do the two games need to be to be uh, viable for killing each other, quote, end quote? Does the killing game have to be objectively better? Or is there always an implied for me, because of what I see, as defining features of these two games? Disregarding the fact that we, of course, are free to disagree, but is this a verdict meant to be objectively true? For me, the idea of a insert game title here, Killer, goes against the grain. Not just because of the murderous metaphor uh, and me feeling sorry for poor games being so violently disposed of. I also often return to games that have been temporarily replaced by others, Terraforming Mars and Ark Nova, for example, but I do still enjoy them and cherish their differences. Thus, if I cannot help but feel that I'm not always such a clear case of a game being better, just being different or new, thus I cannot... I cannot help but feel that it's not always such a clear case of a game being better, uh, but just not being different or new. Could Everdell have been a wondrous creature killer had they been released in a different order? Will it be a wondrous creature killer for somebody in the future? Somebody with a slightly different taste, perhaps. Good question, George. It's interesting. You're right. I probably... I mean, I am hesitant to say this game killed this game. And it's actually because many years ago... and excellent YouTube reviewer, Joel Eddy of Drive-Thru Review, he used to, um, for every video he put up when he covered a game, he would say, name of game X, uh, you know, name of game Y killer. And it was just kind of like a standard thing he did. I mean, um, you know, just, uh, you know, just do you, so you would, at a glance, just looking at the title, understand, oh, okay, now I don't know if this game really does kill this other game, but by drawing that comparison between the two in the title of the video, I instantly know a little bit more about that game, and I can make an informed decision about whether I should watch that video. And let's be honest, it's great clickbait. Oh, Game X kills a game Y? I gotta find out why. Um, I don't know if that was what Joel was doing, or he just thought it was funny sounding. Uh, but he eventually came out and said, you know what, I'm not going to do that anymore because I am uncomfortable with the metaphor, just like you, George. Personally, I'm not, I don't have a problem with the metaphor because I, I you know, I, I, I don't know. I made a lot of hyper-violent video games in my day where we did a lot of killing. Um, so I'm not particularly bothered by the phrase. But um, I, do under, I do appreciate that some people are sensitive about it. And it, it can be misleading. And it is ultimately a very, very clickbaity thing. And I try not to do that too much. Um, much to my own regret, because of course, the more clickbaity you do, the better you'll serve, uh, the better the algorithm will treat you on YouTube. But regardless, uh, I wonder if I'm going to call this Q and A something about Q and A killer or something like that. Um, regardless, you have a very excellent example because here's the deal: as far as I'm concerned, Wondrous Creatures is an Everdale killer. Uh, no choice about it. Now, when I say that, I'm comparing base Everdell against base Wondrous Creatures. Because, of course, Everdell has been around long enough to get, what is it, like four or five different expansions? So maybe Wondrous Creature doesn't kill the broad scope of everything Everdell is. But how do I define what a killer is? Um, it basically comes down to, hey, does the existence of, my, of this game on my shelf mean I no longer have a reason to have this other game on my shelf? If so, this game killed that game, because I'm going to get rid of that game. And here's the deal. If I owned Everdell, which I don't, but I do own, what is it? Farshore. I do own Everdell Farshore. And when I played Farshore, I was like, wow! 
wow, this is so much better than base Everdell. Maybe it's not as good as Everdell with all the stuff, but I really love the changes they made. I, I, finally, I've got an Everdell because the original Everdell, I did not keep on my shelves. I thought it was a great game, but not good enough to keep. Far Shore, I thought, wow, you know, the sequel to Everdell, this is fantastic. This is worth keeping. But here's the deal. If I can get my hands on a final, you know, retail copy of Wondrous Creatures, I am going to get rid of my copy of Far Shore because I can't imagine a circumstance under which I would play Far Shore or Everdell um, when I could play Wondrous Creatures. And why? Why do I draw the comparison? Hey. It, it's it's going to vary from situation to situation. Sometimes it's because, I mean, strictly speaking, the most obvious time is going to be when, hey, the two games have very, very similar settings and at the same time very, very similar gameplay. And one, I find the gameplay to be significantly superior to the others. Now, all three of those things are true for Wondrous Creatures and Everdell. They're both beautiful, wonderful, charming, cartoony games um, uh, about card tableau building and doing worker placement to get cards into play that'll combo against each other. I, you know, I mean, that description I just is equally applicable to both games. And maybe that's the easiest way to say, oh, I mean, wh when does one game kill another? When you could literally say the exact same description for both the games, and people wouldn't know whether you're talking about game X or game Y. And then, if one game is significantly superior in terms of fun factor, for me. You did bring this up, and it's certainly valid that, hey, some people might find Wondrous Creatures not to be as much fun as Everdell, and more power to them. It's certainly important to bear in mind. It's easy to forget. And it's something I'm always trying to be very careful to do, is, always, is never couch my opinions as fact. I always try to throw in the, well, I think, and I feel, and for me, those provisos, those caveats, because if I don't throw those in, it sounds like I am saying definitively this game kills this other game, when in fact, no, no, for me and my tastes it does, but it might not for you. And it always bugs me, other channels that don't do this, that express their personal opinions, strongly held opinions, as fact. In fact, I mean, that really gets under my craw. And I'm not going to name names here, but um, a lot of channels do it. And it's maybe I do it sometimes too, but I try really hard not to. Um, because I, I think that's actively misleading and is literally poor form. So, um, right, there's always the undercurrent. And I think when anybody says game X kills game Y, if you were to corner them at a convention and say, you said this, and I said, well, of course it goes without saying. I'm just talking about for my own personal opinion. And then somebody could reply, but you stated it as fact. You didn't make the proviso that it's just for your personal taste or playing with your family or whatever. You said it like it was a fact. And you have to bear in mind, George, all board game reviewers, or a lot of board game reviewers, state things, and it sounds like they're making factual statements, and if you were to corner them, they would say, oh no, I didn't mean that as a fact. It was just implied that I'm just talking about for my own personal preference, or my own personal subjective opinion. I try as much as possible to make clear that. And I know it drives some people nuts, uh, but regardless. Um, anyway... Uh, to your original question of when does a game kill another, the most obvious thing is, I mean, in Wondrous Creatures, at the end of the day, I would say in Wondrous Creatures and Everdell, both have comparably good card effects. That, hey, I want to get this card into play because I need the resources so that I can get this other one because these two will combo well together, etc., etc. I think both games do that equally, or almost equally well. 
base Everdell does have the problem of, oh, you need this specific card, otherwise you can't um, trigger this chain of stuff, and maybe you'll never see this card. Wondrous Creatures doesn't have that problem. Wondrous Creatures, um, like Farshore, is ensures that they go a bit broader. That's why Farshore kills Everdell for me, and Wondrous Creatures kills Everdell and Farshore for me. So, um, you know, Wondrous Creatures, like Farshore before it, does a better job of, you know, the card combo stuff. But what's more important is, Everdale and Wondrous Creatures and Farshore, at the heart, they're all worker placement games. Very simple worker placement games. Well, that's not true. Everdell is a very simple worker placement game. And Farshore is a very simple worker placement game. Um, Wondrous Creatures has all the cool card stuff of Everdell, all the wonderful presentation of Everdell, but then its worker placement is truly innovative, next-level stuff. Because each worker takes up two adjacent spaces on the worker placement spot, and depending on where you put it, you can activate multiple things. And um, you can activate multiple things in different ways. So it's multi-use, multiple activation vector worker placement. Nobody's ever done anything like it. And it is so far above and beyond the fairly standard straightforward worker placement that Everdell does. Um, now, to be fair, I have not played a lot of the Everdell uh, expansion, so maybe Everdell expansion is throwing a bunch of cool stuff, which again is why I caveated the whole thing by saying, well, Wondrous Creatures is a base game Everdell killer. But you know what? Um, if Wondrous Creatures is a better game out, uh, you know, right from the get-go for roughly the same amount of money, hey, I could buy Everdell and then a whole bunch of other stuff hundreds of dollars of other stuff, so that maybe it becomes better than Wondrous Creatures, or I can get Wondrous Creatures, which is, again, for my personal taste and my predilection, and what I'm looking for is better than Everdell. So, I mean, that's kind of how it comes down to me, and hopefully that makes sense. I feel like I'm kind of all over the place, but it was a good question. Um, right, okay. Then we've got Jerry, who says, I've come across a concept used during the course of some game's gameplay, and I want to get your opinion. It's the concept of, you, of using known information to help make the game easier. Here's a few examples. One, tiny epic dungeons. In a three-player game, the minions that you need to whack are all located between cards 8 and 16. This could lead you to build out your dungeon in a streamlined way, upping your chances of clearing the dungeon quickly. Maquis. Uh, example two, the game encourages you to look through the discard pile to help you calculate what's left in your draw pile. There are others I've come across, but these two should make my overall point. I feel that leveraging these types of known information cheapens the overall experience. I know um, that you could just ignore the information, but once you know it's available and possible, you'll always know. So, What's your opinion on this type of information leveraging? Am I being uh, too critical, overthinking here? Or maybe these types of games just aren't for me. I think you nailed it there at the end. Because here's the deal. You just sold me on Maquis and Tiny Epic Dungeons. You have just now made me excited to play those games. Because... For my taste and what I find enjoyable, I love that. I love the idea of being able to game the system uh, when the system has been designed to be gamed. And for me, I'm going to give a third example because there is no better example in all board gaming. And I know I lean on this example a lot, and I apologize for a long time, listeners. You know what I'm about to mention. Pandemic. Uh, the game that brought me in, because here's the way Pandemic does it. You have a deck of cities around the world. You have one card for each city on the board. And over the course of the game, you will draw these cards and, and viruses will break out in all these cities. And eventually, there will be an event that says, hey, take, all the, disc take the discard pile, shuffle it up, and put it back on top of the draw deck. And to me, 
That's the secret sauce that makes Pandemic just about the most perfect board game in board game history. Because now I've got secret knowledge. I've got insider trading level knowledge. Because I know that in that deck, Chicago is going to hit. Now, I, it's, I just put you know, nine cards on the deck. I don't know when Chicago is going to get hit, but I know Chicago is about to be hit. Um, be, simply because these mechanisms... La, la, wow. I think I just saw a big bird. Might have been a pelican. Just dive bomb. Whoa. Sorry, folks. Uh, we're here at um, the Black Beach, uh, um, uh, south of San Felipe in Mexico right now, and you wouldn't believe the beautiful view I've got right outside the window. Uh, but the sun is starting to go down. I really need to get this gun. Anyway, sorry. That was very distracting. But, oh man. Uh, anyway, yeah, okay, they're flying away. Probably got their fish. Sorry. What was I just saying? Talk about distracting. Um, right, right, right. Oh, pandemic. So, I love that because... Um, I mean, if the game is designed for it, then you should be leveraging these things. It doesn't cheapen the game. The game was designed assuming you would do it. The developers of Maquis and Tiny Epic uh, Dungeons put those in specifically so that you could notice these things, take this information on board, almost like insider trading, if you were to think of it that way, and then leverage that information to succeed at greater heights. To me, it doesn't cheapen the game at all because the designers want you to do that. And you will perform poorly if you don't do that. To me, that makes the game more fun because I'm uh, because the game is more, a richer, more puzzly experience. If I can leverage this knowledge and I can get ahead of it so I can use that to my advantage, it makes me feel smart. It makes me feel accomplished. Uh, you know, I, It feels like I've learned a secret and now I can use that secret to my benefit. Benefit. These are all positive, wonderful things. And, you know, I mean, I, you know, hey, different strokes for different folks. If it doesn't work for you, then you're right. The game just isn't for you. But it's, it's really a shame because you feel like, I, I understand where you're coming from. You kind of feel like you're cheating. Like, you shouldn't know this. You should be, um, you, know, you, you know, this should be unexpected surprise stuff. But all I can tell you is, if the designer were there playing the game with you, they'd say, dude! I've worked really hard to balance the game so that you could use this information to your benefit. And that's the key to playing this game well. So go back and you know, try Maquis or, you know, or some other game with this in mind. That this is the way you're supposed to play. You're literally breaking the rules if you don't do it. And maybe that'll make it more attractive. And if it doesn't, hey, you know what? Not every game is for everybody and that's okay. Okay, um, let's see, moving on. Joseph says, I hope you, Jen, and the pups are having a great time in the RV. Here are my questions for November. I am working on a solo playthrough of the Welcome to the Moon campaign, and I'm loving the journey so far. That's very cool, uh, Joseph. I'm currently on my third time through the game. Wow. I'm curious about the following. Please feel free to mention spoilers. I am not going to mention spoilers. But anyway, question one. How far did you and or Jen get through the campaign? And two, which sheet is your favorite and why? If I recall correctly, the game has... Eight chapters, or eight playable sheets. Is that right? But of course, it's a there's like a whole storyline narrative campaign you can work your way through. I am pretty sure we... I think... I gotta look it up. I want to say four, but it might have been five. Um, without saying spoilers, I set up, but then never played. It's either the fifth or the sixth mission where things start to go bad. 
right? Because basically, for the first two-thirds of the game, hey, we're trying to get to the moon, and then we're solving problems, and you know, you know, having problems getting to the moon, but then we're on the moon, and we're building, and we're expanding, and things are going well, and we're making a mining operation. And then, the next mission, bum bum bum, the other shoe drops, and bad things start to happen to the, uh, the colony on the moon. I won't say what, because I don't want to spoil the story, but hey, not surprisingly, bad things start to happen. you got to solve these problems? I played up to, but did not play that. Um, because I had to move on. Uh, the nature of my chat of me filming Rotto Runs Through is, hey, I played this game a bunch. I'm definitely gonna film my run through of it now, and I gotta move on to the next game. So I believe that means I did not see uh, sheets six, seven, and eight. So I cannot speak to those, right? Maybe it's five, but I think it was six, seven, and eight. So of one to four or one to five, I definitely know what my favorite was by far. The second mission. The, quote, getting to the moon mission. And I admit that that mission might not have legs, right? I don't know if it would support... Re I mean, I don't know if you could make an entire game out of just that mission. Because it is... It's very special and very unique in the way that it takes the Welcome To system and totally reinvents it Without changing the core rules. It's basically the idea of, if you know the game Welcome To, where you're trying to build the perfect suburb in France, and you've got three different streets, and you're using, not dice, but drawing cards, and trying to get the right houses populated on each of the three streets, and trying to balance all three streets at once. What the second mission does, and you know this, Joseph, is it says, there are no streets. You have to define where the streets are. You have to build the streets as you're doing everything else. And I thought that was so freaking brilliant. When I The first time I played it, I loved it. Loved it. The that was a convention, and then I played it a second time at the same convention, and then uh, when I got it home, I played it with Jen. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing! But I fell in love with that hard because as a designer myself, I love seeing clever, creative, new, fresh twists on gameplay. And um, the other ones that came after, hey, they threw new, cool stuff into the core formula, but nothing was like that second mission. Now, honestly, I think probably the third or the fourth mission is probably, if I could only own one, it'd probably be one of those because they're more broad. They have more variety of what you can do. But that second mission um, was really something else. I love that one to pieces. Okay, next we've got Ramon who says, One, in one of your er latest Rotto Talks throughs, you mentioned your early years and the captive audience you had when there were only a few other people making board game videos. This made me curious about how you started playing board games and got involved in the industry, especially in the sharing run-throughs. Could you remind us about your beginnings? When and how did it happen? What drew you to board gaming? And why did you decide to record your playthroughs? Ramon, I'm sorry. I have told that story so many times. And here on the podcast, I know I've told that story at least three or four times. So I'm not going to do it now. But tell you what, tell you what, tell you what. Let's go over to the browser, shall we? Um, hold on a second. I wasn't prepared to do this. I should have been. My apologies. Let's see. What do I need to do? I need to come here to OBS. And then I need to say, okay, I want the browser view. How can I bring the browser back? I can't see the browser. Um, right. I hide Word, and then I... All right. Oh, but then it's gone. All right. Okay. Oh, Chrome. I, I should have set myself up. All right. I point Chrome to the correct window, and there we go. Hey, look. There's Chrome on screen. Sorry. For people watching, uh, for people listening, that was a bunch of useless information. Now, let's, um, in the browser, go to rotto.com. Just straight up, rotto.com. What that'll take you to is actually youtube.com slash rotto, right? The front page of my YouTube channel. Then, when you get to this channel, 
Um, and hey, while you're at there, why don't you subscribe uh, so you don't miss anything and maybe you like some stuff, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, scroll down um, past the run-throughs and the rapid reviews and the roundups and the recaps and the R&R show. Here we go. Rotto runs through other stuff. Click on this. This is a playlist of, I don't even know, uh, I mean, is there 100 videos in here? There might be. Click on it. There we go. There are, I'm sorry, 206 videos that I have done over the years. And these videos are about not me running through things or listing the best ofs or anything like that. This is me and sometimes other people on the channel doing radically different things. And I'm um, right. I don't care about this most recent one because if I scroll down, there are, amongst other things in here, a whole bunch of interviews I have done. And, um, boy, I really should have preloaded this. And I've shrunk the window down so incredibly far that you can't see anything. I am failing. And, oh, my gosh, you can't even see me in the video because I pushed a button. Oy, I really need to remap these buttons. Come back to me, please. There we go. Unpause this video. Boy, why is this going so slow? And now i got to shrink back up. Oh, and, boy, Chris, you're great. All right, let me just mute you. All right, fine. Oh, is my battery? Why are you running so slow? Wow. Okay. Apparently doing this, I should warn you, apparently might destroy Chrome for you, I guess, because that's what's happened here. All right, fine. Yikes. I mean, I guess you bring up a playlist of 200 videos, maybe it's going to slow your computer down, especially if you're on a tiny little laptop that's not very powerful. You know what I should do? Let's turn laptop from maximum battery to um, maximum, uh, what'd you call it? Yes, I'm in um, better battery. Better performance, please. I should have done this first. So anyway, here's the deal. You're going to find a bunch of stuff in here, including a lot of interviews. And the one I'm going to point you to is right here. Q&A. Oh my gosh, my computer is... What is happening now? What is happening? I am no longer... Am I... Okay, I have left that play... Oh, there it is. There's the playlist. All right. Oh my gosh. It was, it was right here. And it disappeared. Right. I mean, there's so many things. There's so many questions and answers. So many interviews. But okay, I, yeah, here it is. Q&A with Aldi and Rado. It's a two-hour-long thing. And um, you know, it's me talking a lot about my background, including my background in the video game industry and how I made the transition from the video game industry to the board game industry. And while there are plenty of other things in here that you will find that will do that, I think that might be... That's one of the best... Q&A interviews I've ever done with Scott Alden of Board Game Geek, you know, the head honcho of Board Game Geek, I'm going to suggest go check that one out and you will find the answers you seek. Right? Alrighty. And boy, that was really hard because my computer was not ready for any of that stuff. My apologies. But now, let's get back to the Word document. Alrighty. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Question two from Ramon. Like you, most of my gaming sessions are with my wife and occasionally my 12-year-old son. Due to our hectic business schedules, we're always looking for games that balance complexity, preferably medium, duration, under an hour, and replayability. One of my first ever board games, inspired by your recommendation, was Twa, by the way, which I still love to bits. But I think you would agree, Twa does not fit that ideal triangle you were just talking about. Nowadays, we frequently play Tiny Towns, Architects of the West Kingdom, Roleplayer, Clank, Lost Cities, and Splendor Duel. Considering these three factors, what would be your top five board game recommendations for the last 12 months? Okay. Wow. You can get Architects of the West Kingdom done in under an hour? That's mind-blowing to me. Um, But okay, we'll go with it. And this means we're going to have to go back to the browser. uh, Because I can't do this off the top of my head. But here's what I will do if I, um, once again, come back to the browser, and hopefully the browser will work a bit more smoothly this time. Browser. Let's go to top.rado.com. And I clearly should have opened this before I came over here. All right, anyway, this is a shortcut to a list I've got that breaks down my personal collection by year. You want to know about the last 12 months? I'm going to talk about 2023. I've got 22 games in my collection uh, that I've played. And I'm going to try to pick a few. You said your top five, considering under an hour, preferably medium weight, with high replayability. Okay, well, right off the bat, oh, I want to say Earth. But, well, you just said that, I mean, I mean medium. I, I'll have to say Earth. Earth is brilliant. Earth is a game you can easily play in under an hour, but it might be getting us slightly towards the heavy. But if you're comfortable with Architects of the West Kingdom, I think you'd be comfortable with Earth. Earth is definitely heavier than Architects of the West Kingdom. So I'd, I'd be a bit on the fence about that one. But I'm trying to think in, you know, between the realms of time, between Lost Cities on one end up to Architects of the West Kingdom that you can play in under an hour. The White Castle. You have to check out The White Castle in a big, big way. Another game you can get done in under an hour that is just a picture of perfection. Watch my run through to see why. Uh, Rebuilding Seattle. I highly recommend that one. Nimalia. Nimalia might be a little too light for you. Maybe not Nimalia, but definitely Wild Tiled West. Point City, I highly recommend this. Um, you know, it's in the same realm as you know uh, Tiny Towns. Uh, you know, I mean, man, oh, that'd be a great double feature playing Point City and Tiny Towns back to back. Let's see. Oh wait, am I thinking about replayability too? Earth definitely has replayability for days. I think White Castle does because here's the deal: if a game doesn't have strong replayability, it doesn't tend to stay on my shelf, quite frankly. And all of these have. Let's see. Um. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, Raua. A bit on the lighter side again. But okay, so of the five you want, I'm going to recommend Raua, um, uh, Point City, Rebuilding Seattle, White Castle, and Earth. Those are my five recommendations to you for games that you could probably get done in under an hour that are nice, medium weight, and have a lot of replayability. 
Phew! That was much easier than I thought it would be. That went much smoother than the last time I went to the browser. Okay, next up, we go to Thomas. Or Tomas, it looks like. It's been a while since I wrote uh, to your questions email, but I have a few questions, and I would like to ask. One, you mentioned you don't feel comfortable playing the Fox experiment due to its theme. From what I understood when reading about the experiment, uh, it was all based on selective reading with no suffering inflicted on the animals. So why don't you feel comfortable with that? I'm on your side when it comes to animal cruelty, but isn't selective breeding the process behind my lab, uh, your beagles, and all those lovely laying chickens? Yes, it is. And here's the deal. There was, that's a, it, there was a lot of animal suffering. And so here's the deal. Even the publisher of the Fox Experiment, Pandasaurus Games, I remember they did a press release at some point where they said, hey, we're really excited about this game from um, you know, Elizabeth Hargrave. It's got really great gameplay. And then at the bottom, we recognize that the real-world Fox Experiments have at times, especially in the early days, been truly horrific and you know, really cruelty to animals. We don't support this. We think this is terrible. And so, and I think this was awesome in Pandasaurus, a portion of all our proceeds from sales of the Fox Experiment are going to go to the Humane Society. And when I saw that, I'm like, yes, oh my gosh. Because when I first heard, I've, I've known about the Fox Experiment for years before I ever knew there was going to be a game based on it. And when I first heard about that, that, oh my God, you're making a game out of that? Because here's what you maybe missed. Thomas, as my understanding of the problem with the Fox experiment, you know, I mean, for folks who don't know, this is a Russia, a famous Russian experiment that started in the 60s and is still going on today. As far as I know, they haven't run out of money yet, but it's always been on the cusp of running out of money. But they've been running it for generations now, human generations. And what they do is they try to selectively breed because they're trying to domesticate foxes. They're trying to replicate the real history of how did, how did dogs go from being wolves to man's best friend. Right, And they're trying to study. And I, I think that's worthy. I think that is a great science goal. But here's the way it works, or the way it's always worked. Um, you know, they, they, they breed the next generation. They keep these um, foxes in tiny, tight, confined cages. Uh, I don't know, maybe it's better now, but back in the day, I've seen pictures. Tiny little cages, barely enough room to turn around, just wire mesh, and that's where most of these foxes live and die. Because they have one year. For one year, the scientists will see how well the, 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 the new breed of foxes respond to petting and you know, baby talk and stuff like that. Are they getting closer to dogs? And so the ones that show the most progress towards the selective breeding product, they get to live and breed again. All the other foxes, like 95% of all the other foxes, they get shipped off to fur farms. And Russian fur farms are abysmal places where foxes get skinned alive and all kinds of terrible things. And the fox experiment had to do this to make money to keep going. So, yeah. I can't in good conscience play this game. In the same way, I would not play a game about factory modern-day factory farming. I would not play a game about scientists in the cosmetic industry uh, experimenting on beagles. Uh, that's uh, To me, this isn't as bad as those, but it's still pretty bad. And that's why I'm uncomfortable with the Fox Experiment. Although, I do think it's awesome that if you do buy the Fox Experiment, a portion of the pro profits for that sale will go to the Humane Society. So that goes a long way towards helping. But anyway, that's where I'm coming from. Okay, next up. Number two, I love playing board games. That is a fact. I love it. Uh, don't come to me with any uh, less than factual uh, reports there, Tomas. I don't usually win, and I usually play against players with an engineering background, and I am not an engineer. And I sometimes feel 
the, my engineer friends are not immersed in the game. My favorite part of playing, but are analyzing the game mechanisms and trying to find a way to win, not caring for the game theme. Is my perception correct? I don't know, buddy, but I suspect it could be. You should ask them. Don't ask me. Um, but I have certainly played with a lot of people over the years who just don't... I mean, whenever I teach a, a game, the first thing I do is... I open up the rule book and read the thematic introduction to set the stage. Because I think theme is everything in games. I have a very difficult time enjoying abstract games. There's a few I do, but for the most part, I could take or leave them. They feel more like activities rather than games. Because I don't feel like I'm doing anything. I feel like I'm grinding my wheels and, you know, and, and spinning, moving levers and, and spinning pulleys. And it's just all meaningless. To me, if there's not a, a, a theme there that makes me feel like, oh, I am this person at this point in time trying to achieve this purpose. And I know, yeah, I've played with plenty of people who just play like I suspect your engineer friends play. And you know what? Hey, if they're having fun, more power to them. But I don't see how they could be having as much fun as me. Because, of course, I am also trying to my best to win and use the mechanisms and study them. And, and But I am also getting the extra layer of flavor of of but I'm you know I'm transported to another world. I am there in the moment even in simple ways. And I I I always feel bad when somebody tells me, "You know what? You don't need to read this story. I literally don't care." I literally don't care. I have had people, uh, you know, cuz when I'm teaching, I'll often couch rules explanations in thematic things. So you see what's really happening here is you as a merchant are actually having to pay a, you know a a backdoor tax on whatever and that's I don't stop with the storytelling. Just tell me when I have to pay money and where I move all my uh, baubles to. I've played with players like that. Honestly, no offense to them, I have not had as much fun playing with them because they are not engaged in the shared storytelling exercise that I am there to enjoy. Thomas, I think you and I would have a lot of fun playing, and I feel bad for your engineering friends. But hey, don't worry about it. If they're having fun, if it makes them happy, it can't be that bad. Alrighty, uh, then you end up with, as a game designer, are you able to have an immersive experience, or do you feel the game mechanics are above its theme? That is a real danger for me. But it is not a problem I've had. It is definitely something that happened to me after working in the video game industry for 20 years. For folks who don't know, I was a professional video game designer for two decades. And um, you know, made some of the biggest video games in history. Uh, Siphon Filter, Fable 2, you know. And uh, worked on The Sims. And after 20 years, I had, I mean... Playing video games had become a chore. It was very difficult for me to enjoy them because all I could do was rip them apart and think about them in terms of gameplay mechanisms and, more importantly, production methodology. I would play a, board, a video game and think, "Wow, I wonder how much this feature costs." Wow, I mean, I mean, gosh, I mean, this must have taken at least a team of three programmers what six months to get this feature, and you only use it in one level in the entire game. How? How could you get away with that? What was your budget like? And that's what video games became for me after 20 years of making them. And so I could not enjoy them in this with the same simple pleasure that I did as a young child in the 70s, you know, playing those old Mattel games, or in the early 80s, playing my Atari 2600, or playing Pong when I was four years old back in the early 70s. So it's one of the reasons I got out. It's one of the reasons I, I didn't have any passion for it anymore. And now, interestingly... I have not played a video game seriously in probably, I don't know, 
almost a decade. And I often think, you know what, maybe that's been enough time. And I could go back and I could probably enjoy video games again. But why would I do that when I can enjoy board games with my wife, Jen? Which is all, at no point have video games ever the greatest experience I've ever had. And if you want, do a search. Rotto Top 10 Video Games. I made a top 10 of my favorite video games and talked about the amazing experiences I had playing them. None of them hold a candle to playing Pandemic Legacy with my wife. So I would never go back. And it is something I worry about. Doing what I do, Rotto runs through, I worry that if I do it long enough, that what I found happening to me in video games will happen to me in board games. Now, one thing that's a big difference is, even though I have been asked on more than one occasion by board game publishers, hey, if you ever want to come on and become a professional board game developer, let us know. We'd love to have you. I've always kind of held that at arm's length. And in large part, because I'm really kind of happy staying on one side. I'm just a player. It's just I happen to be a player who plays a lot of games. Um, And I'd always be a bit nervous about, you know, becoming a developer and then starting to think about the how the sausage is made and it might affect my enjoyment of the sausage so it's something i definitely try to stay away from and that is it folks like i said right up front not very many um games showed up in the mailbox so please by all means before we go on to the personal q a i beseech you go to your email um client of choice Send an email to questions at rotto.com because we need more questions. Uh, start off the year near 2024. But, um, folks, this is where we are done with the gaming and channel-based stuff. And if you hold on for a second, Jen will be here. And we will, uh, we will go into great length, uh, talk about all our adventures and our misadventures on the road so far as we continue heading to the southern hip of Baja, uh, Mexico. So hang on and we'll be right back. Okay, folks, we are back with some personal Q&A time with Jen. Hi, Honey Pie. Uh, hello. Uh, I didn't know if I told you this. There were so few emails to questions at Rado.com this month that there's no game stuff that I could throw your way. Okay. And uh, there's really only one personal question as well, although two different people asked it. We've got both Joseph, Joseph and Ramon asking... Uh, well, first of all, would you mind sharing why you chose your current RV route? What spots are you most excited about on your journey? That's from Joseph. And then Ramon said, what's your high-level road trip itinerary if you can share it? Ooh. So those are both obviously practically the same thing. And so uh, since this is such a short episode, I figure we can answer those. Then maybe like do a travel log so far. Oh, okay. You know, to, you know, do the, you know, from the day we set out and... Oh, gosh. What was it? Mid-October, I guess? Late October. Late October? Yeah. Yeah. Well, before, okay, well, well, let's see. So, uh, today's uh, personal Q&A will be all about a huge trip update, just telling stories about what's happened to us so far <laughs> after we answer these questions of, uh, you know, the itinerary and whatnot. And then there are, uh, there's a couple of political questions that I missed last month, because remember, we were just too tired. Yeah. And so I've got those. Obviously, you won't have anything to say about those, but we'll save those until the end. And sadly, no dog pictures even. Oh, my goodness. Can you believe it? I, Folks, yeah. questions at rotto.com. Send in your pictures of dogs, cats, parakeets, salamanders, you know, anything. Uh, but anyway, all right, so Honey Pie. Yes. Um, all right, Joseph and Ramon both have high-level road trip itinerary, if you can share it why we chose our current RV route, and what are we most excited about for or on the journey? Well, I think one of the things I'm most excited about is we'll be later in the journey in February, 
probably, we are going to go to a place called Guero Negro. And it's Which I'm sure we're pronouncing wrong. Probably, yep. Um, but that's where the whale, uh, not the whale sharks, the humpback whales and the blue whales, I think, go through on their way up to the Oh, feeding, that's in Guero Negro? Yeah, in Alaska. Okay. Um, but it's where they mate and have their babies and then raise the calves for the first couple months of the calves' lives. Yeah. So apparently the whales are very, it's humpbacks. Humpback whales, yeah. Yeah, um, are very, very curious. And once their calves are a few weeks old, the moms actually bring their calves over to these, it's a it's a controlled number of boats that can be out in the mm -hmm. bay. Mm -hmm. um, but they just want to, yeah, be social, I guess. And so they will come yeah. up to the boats, kind of push the boats around a little bit. Um, <laughs> people say they kiss the whales and pet the whales. Yeah, we've seen video of it. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, uh, we've seen people who were, who were there for a couple of days, three days, end up, you know, interacting with like 30 whales, hands-on yeah. kind of a thing. But, you know, all at the whales' discretion. Yes, the whales right. come up to the boats. Yeah, so the exactly. boats do not chase the whales. Yep, yep, yep. So that is going to be really cool. And it's interesting. Um, if we had left a few weeks earlier... We could have also stopped. Is it at Puerto Negro again, or is it someplace else? No, it's where in November you can uh, swim with what was it? Whale tiger, sharks. Whale sharks. Whale yeah. sharks. The biggest fish in the ocean. Yeah, that is at Bahia de Los Angeles. Oh, Bahia de San And unfortunately, we missed that. We missed that window. Yeah, that was in um, November. But apparently, they're just moving south, and we might be able to catch them in La Paz in January. Yep. So they're basically heading down the Sea of Cortez, going south, and uh, like we are. Like we are. And then, yep, apparently they hang around in La Paz for sort of December and January, and then they go off to do the rest of um, whatever they do. And mm -hmm. But those are whale sharks, and you can apparently go out and snorkel with them. Yes. So I am looking forward to that, too, because we're paddy. We have our um, scuba paddy divers, scuba yeah. diving stuff, mm -hmm. so maybe mm -hmm. we'll even do some scuba diving. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so whales. 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 Now, I'm not, whales is not why we literally chose this route in the first place, though. That's just, I mean, we, we said, originally, the plan was that we were going to do some kind of road trip. We did one at the beginning of the year from, like, February to April, a couple of months, right? Yep. And that was, uh, and that was just basically from Washington State down to Arizona and back, effectively. So, yeah. And uh, that was really to kind of coincide with the Dice Tower West Convention Library and uh, all of that. And we thought, okay, that worked out pretty well. Let's do another one. And I've just been kind of pushing for, hey, let's do a big old half-year-long thing. And just like, well, let's just uh, keep it under control a little bit. But your original <laughs> plan was to do a very long road trip, maybe three, four, five months, to go um, all the way to the southern tip of the Florida Keys. Well, right? That was what you were originally proposing. Basically, just go across country, across the United States, and yeah. then you know, come along like the southern states and then come back via the northern states, I think is kind of what you were talking about. Right? Well, we didn't really get very far in talking about right, it. Right, but that's what you were kind of proposing. I actually wanted to see the panhandle of Florida. Right. That's what, because you and I had taken a trip when my mom lived in Florida in mm -hmm. Okeechobee. Okeechobee. Um, and we went down the Keys, and it was fabulous. I loved the Keys. I loved that whole, you know... Island vibe, I guess. Right. Kind so you of wanted there. to do that again. I did, but that wasn't that wasn't the focus for me. It was getting to the Panhandle and seeing some of that area because mm -hmm. for some reason that was just in my mind as a as a nice place to live, maybe. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So kind of checking that out. All right. But then I looked at the map and I figured you out figured out how long the drive. Oh would be. my gosh, it would be so long, and also a lot of it through just you know basically barren land like yeah. most of Texas. Well, like most of what we're doing right now. Yeah, but this at least is, you've got um, the sea mm -hmm. and stuff. 
Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so when and we, we lived in Texas as well, so we've already driven through quite a lot of Texas already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were second guessing that, and then I suggested, well, we should, why don't we just drive to the southern tip of Baja and back? It'll be half the distance, and it'll be a adventure of a lifetime. Yeah. And I think you dismissed it pretty quickly out of hand. You're like, oh, no, we can't possibly do that. Uh, because, you know, there's a lot of preconceived notions about, oh, it's way too dangerous to go to Mexico. There's yeah. drug cartels, and, um, you know, gringos are being kidnapped all the time. And I'm <laughs> like, oh, honey, well... That's obviously way overblown. Um, there's dangerous places in every city in America. There's dangerous places in Mexico, too. But that aside, that's all mainland Mexico. Baja, the Baja Peninsula, is, is as low crime as you can get. And, uh, and so when you start looking into it, too, you say, well, maybe we should do this. Yeah. I got pretty excited about it, actually, because we are um, where we live now. We are nowhere near uh, the ocean. Right. Yes. <laughs> or and we, sea. Whereas we were for half a year. Six, six years. Six years, yeah, 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 yeah. Half a decade. Six years we were right on the ocean in Malta. Yeah, see. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I really was excited about that because I felt a bit a bit dry <laughs> <laughs> living away from the sea. Uh -huh. So, yeah, that, uh, that definitely fired my imagination. Yeah. So, uh, and then you really started looking into it. And honestly, by that point, I kind of cooled on a little bit. I mean, I suggested because my... I think I mentioned this on the podcast in the past. Uh, my, my mom's family... Uh, my grandfather, on my mom's side, was a uh, a labor organizer for migrant workers in California, and she told me many times of you know she and her and her family you know uh, spending months at a time in Mexico as part of his job, working with labor organizers down there and coordinating and all that. So that was like a big part of her childhood, and I thought, well, hey, we should probably totally do that. Um, I'm sure mom would get a kick out of it if she were still with us. And so that's why I had kind of suggested it in the first place. And then we watched some YouTubers who would uh, put up videos saying, look, we just did this. And, you know, if I really wanted to be successful at YouTube, I would not be doing a board game channel. I would definitely drop all the Rotto Runs Through Board Game stuff and just try and convert that into a YouTube uh, RV lifestyle channel. Because, hey, if you get successful there, you're getting 20, 30, 50, 100,000 views per video. And um, so anyway, we started watching a few of those. And that really convinced you that, yeah, if they could do it, we could do it. Well, yeah, because part of it was this is a fairly big rig. Yeah. And we were, I was afraid that, you know, it wouldn't be able to, you know, narrow the roads, roads and narrow that, roads yeah. and all that. And there have been, certainly the YouTubers have shown us where the narrow, scary roads are. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we're prepared. It's it's going to be scary. They'll be <coughs> narrow. Yeah. You, you, but it's it's two mile stretch yep. of road. So you get through that two miles and then you're fine. Yeah. So anyway, so that's kind of what led us to it. And then... Uh, well, we'll talk about, you know, the stuff we've done along the way, like the board game convention that popped up that was not originally part of the plan. We're yeah. like, oh, we should schedule it around that and yeah. stuff like that. And uh, then, yeah. And then to the question, I mean, for you, I mean, what, I didn't even realize, I didn't think I realized until we got to Southern California that, oh, whales. There'd be whales here. Somehow I just kind of hadn't really clicked with me. But for yeah. you, it was always high on your list? Well, I think when we saw... Uh, especially the eat people. Yeah, well, there's one YouTubers. YouTube channel where they'd done a lot of it. And I'd seen that, but I think I'd just forgotten about it. Or I thought, yeah, but that's not actually going to happen. And that's probably just some weird, fluky thing that they stumbled across. And we're like, no, no. You're pretty much guaranteed to spend quality time, you know, up close and personal with humpback whales if you want. So we're totally going to do that. But, okay, so that latched into your brain the instant you saw it. And you're like, okay, if we do nothing else, we're doing that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, so anything else? Uh, I mean, I yeah. Think- Our high-level road trip itinerary is left in late October, st- uh, stopped at the Funicon board game convention in Eugene, Eugene Oregon. Yep. Then kept coming down, visited my sister in, or my sister-in-law, my half-sister, a long-lost half-sister. Never knew she existed until a year ago when a random uh, DNA test ended up making us connect and visit, meet her for the first time, then continue south and meet my, he's not my nephew, he's my cousin. Cousin. A cousin of mine uh, who I've never met in my entire life, and he lived in Central California, stopped and saw him, then stopped in L.A., hung out with Ruel, uh, for in shave for a while. But and Becky a friend and of Jen's. Ron. Oh, yeah, and in between that, mm, stopped in the Bay Area and hung out with Jen's family. Well, I'm really just kind of brushing over things. Uh, we should be telling all the adventures. Well, but anyway, I, I was just trying to do the itinerary. Yeah. It's just like head through California, stopping at all these things that we really should do, and then cross over the border and then just keep going south. And our main itinerary is no itinerary. It's driving <laughs> my channel manager nuts. He, uh, they're trying to get me a copy of the uh, next upcoming Aeons In because they want me to cover it for the crowdfunding game campaign in late January. And we're like, well, I can't really give you an address. When we when we were on the road in the States, there were plenty of places you could say, well, hey, okay, we'll be over here in two weeks' time. Mail it to this place. They'll hold it. That is much harder to come across in Mexico. Um, and it's made worse by the fact that we are absolutely 100% trying not to plan anything. Um, Other than very broadly that we want to be in February in Guero Negro for the whales. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that is the at this point the only thing. Do not miss the whales. Yep. And, you know, their peak time of late January, early February, whatever it is, in Guero Negro. Um, so, yeah, there's not really an itinerary other than just go all the way south and then come all the way back and see some whales on the way. Other things... Uh, swing uh, as we come back north. Swing through Phoenix, Arizona again, and hang out with Dan King, the board game geek, uh, because uh, Jen loves him. Uh, we <laughs> met him on that earlier trip earlier in the year, and Jen had so much fun hanging out with him and his friends that uh, she wants to do that again. And then we don't really have any firm. We were planning. This is kind of a, probably made a disappointment for some people. We were planning to try and schedule things so that as we come back up, we'd also go to the Dice Tower West Library in Vegas in, I think it's the first week of March. But as time has gone on, we've realized we just can't commit to it. And it was, I mean, you know, anytime we've actually tried to arrive any place on a specific schedule, it has proven to be so incredibly stressful. Yep. And anytime we are not paying attention to any schedule, everything is so wonderful and laid back and chillaxed. Where, oh, hey, you want to stay here another day? Yeah, let's just stay another couple days. Why not? Oh, you know what? It's starting to get cold. Maybe it's time to move. You know, that's yeah. that's the extent of our planning. And um, whenever we try to do scheduled stuff, it gets so... So we've actually... I just wrote to uh, the organizer, Tim, of the Dice Star West Library and saying, hey, you know what? We're still going to try to go there, but do not set aside a table for... Because we just don't know if we'll be able to make it on time. So really, I mean, I think we only have two stops, roughly... See the whales in February, and roughly see Dan King sometime in March, I guess. Maybe, yeah. Maybe February, maybe April. We don't know how long we're going to stay down here. Things have been going pretty well so far. Yep. So that's it for the itinerary. Well, I also want to go up the eastern side of Utah when we return. Okay. We went on... News to me. Oh, sorry. Not the eastern side. We went the eastern side this spring. I'd like to go up the western side. Oh, okay. All right. So there's that, but... 
you know, that's all very... I again. would like to swing by Kimberly's on the way home, please. Ah, okay. I've been wanting to do that several times. Yep. Uh, Kimberly Tolson, you know, one of the contributors to the channel, she only lives like four hours away from us, almost directly due east of us. Um, and there's nothing stopping us from We just never got around to it. So I definitely want to make that happen this time. Where is she in Boise? I, I don't remember. And honestly, even if I did, I don't know if I'd say because I don't know if she makes that public where yeah. she lives and we certainly don't want to reveal well all i'll say is she lives east of us east. some point someplace okay. uh do east do wish east of us someplace okay. it's not boise though i, I remember it's no definitely it's not definitely that. not boise that's too far south yeah, yeah actually yeah. that's where um becky's husband's family oh, that's has moved yeah. that's what i'm thinking of is yep. them yeah so that's it i mean we we do not have a more firm itinerary and that's kind of by design let's see and that's why we chose the route that's what we're most excited about and then, boom, we're done with personal Q&A, uh, except for these two political questions. But I figure, do you want to... I sure. started to. Sure. Apparently, Jen's just going to read her phone and No, I'm chime looking in. at the map. Oh, you're looking at the map to try and jog your memory? Well, okay. I don't remember what time, but like in the third week of October, I guess, is when we hit the road? Yeah, I think so. Near the end. Um, with, uh, you know, spent the... Uh, stopped and saw your stepmom. Yep. Um, had lunch with her, then kept driving. Hit the uh, fairgrounds at Eugene, <laughs> where we were really surprised. Our first stop, we, we, uh, we had already worked out ahead of time. You know, here's where the convention is. It's at, not a convention center. I forget what it was called. An event center. Event center, Something, yeah. some, something, something event center in Eugene, Oregon. And when we got there, it's basically just a gigantic parking lot surrounded by a bunch of di individual pavilion buildings. Yeah. And they were in, like, the main pavilion building. And we, and we had said, well, hey, can we just sleep in our RV in the parking lot there? And they said, sure, no problem. And when we got there, we were very pleasantly surprised to find there was power. Yeah. So for our first three nights, we had power just staying in this parking lot in the middle of Eugene and went to this convention. And, and it was great. And we were happy about it because it was freaking cold. Yes, it was very cold. <laughs> and so we did not have to worry about managing power levels or anything like that. We just... Uh, and we could run the heater. Yeah, we ran the electric heater yep. instead of the propane-based heater. And yeah, it was a great convention. Uh, Jen was surprised how well she did for sales. Yep. Um, I mean, we, we expected, oh, it was going to be a fraction of what you get or what you bring in. I guess it was a fraction, but it was a pretty big fraction it was, of what I, you bring in it. Yeah. Dice Tower West or Board Game Geek Convention, right? Yeah. I, I felt that um, people liked my work and it was very satisfying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was it was a good time. I um, And, you know, uh, it was Chaz Marler of uh, Watch It Played was there. So we, I played a game with him and we did some events together and it was just fantastic. It was the first one and they have announced they're going to be doing future ones and I wouldn't be surprised if we end up uh, getting down there because it's not too far away from us. Uh, yeah, no, pretty easy to do as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially uh, with power in the uh, parking lot. Yeah. Hey. So uh, that was that. But it was, it was just, yeah, pretty much what you expect, a, a game convention. And then we we drove down. But really yeah. nice people, too. Their whole ethos. Run by wonderful people, yes. Well, and their whole ethos is supporting everybody in the community. So yeah, yeah. it was a very Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody in the community. I mean, well, probably about half the attendees were just, you know, locals who were fans of the of fun again the store and, yeah. you know who knew them from that and because they were you know a big part of the board game community there but then there were a whole bunch of people they were surprised uh they of the three days two days they did sell out and they did not expect that yeah and so that was a very that was a good problem to have yeah for a first year convention especially yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so that was good and i don't know if there's much else to say about that um uh about that first stop no, probably not. I mean, we really didn't do anything but that. Yeah, because we were just exhausted at the end of every day, and we just went back and crashed in the RV. Yeah. And uh, 
Yeah, I mean, we didn't even go out to eat or anything. We just... I got on the electric bike at one point and went down and got some ice cream because my throat <laughs> was totally trashed. Yep. But yeah, that was about it. So then we uh, up sticks and we drove and stayed someplace on the Oregon coast. The Umpqua River Lighthouse Museum Gift Shop and Coastal Visitors Center. I don't remember anything about this. The lighthouse. Remember we got oh, to stay? Oh, yes. Where, where the lighthouse to put on a laser light show at night kind of a thing? Well, not, not really, but Yeah, the, the lighthouse actually, you know, of course, yep. is still working, but the trees have grown up and around it enough that it actually feels like you're kind of in the middle of a snow globe uh -huh. um, with the yeah, lights yeah, rotating yeah. at night. It was cool. And, I mean, it was just a beautiful view, of course, as well. So that was really very cool, too. Yep, and that was, I guess, our first boondocking thing because what we've been trying to do as much as possible i mean there are campgrounds everywhere that we could park this rv and they generally run anywhere from 20 bucks a night to 80 bucks a night depending on how nice they are yeah but we by and large try to avoid that at all costs not at all costs the opposite of all costs we're trying to avoid costs at no cost um <laughs> at no, no cost to us we try there's this uh there's a bunch of apps you can use for rv life the one we find we use the most because it's the most reliable is iOverlander, recommended to us by Dan King. Yeah. I, I totally missed that one. I was relying on all stays, but then iOverlander has supplanted everything. Well, and it will just tell you uh, other RVers who have found places where it's legal to park and sleep, they'll just mark it on the map and make notes, and then other people do it. And so that's what we've been trying to do. And I would say... Um, I mean, we've probably done that two-thirds of the time, I guess. Yeah. The other thing that I really like is... Uh, um, program called Harvest Host. Oh, Harvest Host, yes. And they also have um, partnered with Boondockers. Whatever. Whatever organization. Boondockers Welcome, I think is the name of the Yeah, Boondockers Welcome. So Harvest Host basically... And by the way, I should say, boondocking uh, is a term that means uh, basically living off the grid. You're, if you're boondocking, that means you have no, you have, do not have access to power, you do not have access to water. Or sewer. Um, or or um, yeah, someplace to dump your black tank, your sewage tanks. Yep. Uh, there are places you can boondock where you still have to pay to be there. Uh, so it doesn't mean you're living free, but usually it means you're living off the land. Um, what? Yeah. Why did oh. you just do that? Oh, just, you were shaking the table. Oh, eh. I'm not worried about too much. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, it's basically people who, who can live completely in their rigs. Yeah. Like a lot of them do on, um, was it BLM land, Bureau, Bureau of Land Manage, Bureau of Land Management land, yep. or, you Nas know, national parks where it's legal to, you know, as long as you aren't in these particular places, those particular places. I mean, it's where we are right now. We are pulled off on the side of Interstate 5 in Mexico uh, at a little place called... I, I want to say, yeah. Hold on. Playa, Playa, I don't know. I, I don't even know how to say Playa. It's not Playa. It's probably Playa, Playa, uh, Negrito Beach. Black Beach is the name of it, and um, Playa yeah. Negrito. And it's and Federal Highway Five. Federal yeah. Highway Five, not Interstate Five, of course. They yeah. don't have interstates down here. They have federal highways, and it was just a place that people recommended, and we've decided to stop here. And if I were to turn the camera around, you would see an amazing. Uh, 270 degree, maybe not, uh, maybe like 220 degree, nothing but beautiful uh, blue azure ocean. Yep. And the wind is fairly high, so it's nice and windy the way I like it. And there's just nobody here. There's a road not too far away. We're just pulled off to the side, and we're going to stay here tonight. Maybe we'll stay here a couple of days. We don't know. We'll see how we feel tomorrow if, we're, if we get the itch to start moving on or if it makes sense to stay here a few days. Yep. But it's nice. We're we may get an, a neighbor or two, um, another other boondockers like us that yep. pull in. But 
Uh, we have done this, oh, several, this is our third spot in Mexico? Yes. Since, yes. Yeah. And we've, and also we've, we've, but you're we jumping stayed. way ahead. Okay. Okay. Yes. Back so anyway, to so the our lighthouse. first boondocking spot was the lighthouse. Yeah. And it was amazing. And it was, I was really, really cool. If you, if you just look at it on Google Maps, there's pictures of it, what it's like when they turn on the rainbow light uh, at night and just have that spinning all night long. And well, it's not a rainbow light, it's the lighthouse that, yeah, no, but, it, but, no but the lighthouse was emitting like colorful lasery type things. That's just the prisms in the glass. Uh, or maybe, maybe. It was very cool. It was very, very cool. So then we, I mean, we just did that one night. Then we headed on south. And what was our next stop? Um, well, I think it was somewhere um, around Crescent City. Was it when we were close to crossing the Oregon? Was it, was it that one that was, we, we went up the mountain a long, long way? No, that was a That's little bit further night? on the on the way to Reading. Right. We crossed okay, the mountains, yeah, yeah. so it was somewhere along the coast there, near Crescent City. And apparently City. not very memorable. Uh, you'd think I would remember it. I checked the diary when I was actually still <laughs> right. making notes because. Oh yeah, we need to catch up on making our notes. Well, there's I don't know. Oh no, have you have you not made a note for and three not weeks? Not since Oregon, probably. Oh my god! Oh no! It's awful. Jen originally planned. She's got a special book for it and everything to make daily notes of our highlights and here's the mistake we now don't even remember what our second stop was because she didn't make any notes of it or maybe she did uh, let's see. you know what uh, she's gonna look for a second i'm gonna get a drink of water because i am parched yep it, she started out strong but that's just pretty much where she stopped making notes um, yeah unfortunately i petered out yep pretty quick so we stopped someplace don't remember that kept going south stopped at the next one and that one was actually i do remember that one yeah. after like a hour of just all non-stop uphill and that was when we were crossing over towards Reading, right? Yep. To meet my sister. Yep. Um, and that was a wonderful, I mean, I, 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 we could have easily stayed there a couple of days, I think. I don't know that we would have been allowed to. There was mm. a lot of traffic Yeah, I've kind of gotten of uh, yeah. used to Mexico. Just, yeah, stay as long as you want. Yeah. No one's paying attention. Um, so, yeah, we had a, a few boon talking nights, some good, not good, um, but then we eventually got to Redding, California, met my sister, half-sister, I should say, that my mom had, um, you know, it was an accidental pregnancy when she was in college and had to give the baby up for adoption because her parents said, well, you just need to go down to Mexico and have an abortion. Um, did I mention uh, my family comes, uh, is very comfortable with uh, going down to Mexico, and that's what that was their plan was, and she said, I'm not doing that. And so she was kind of excommunicado from the uh, family for a while before they let her back in. But anyway, so she had the uh, baby, gave her up for adoption, and was never able to see her again. And it was like her great regret in life that she had no idea what had happened to this little girl, hadn't met her. The only thing they would tell her is um, she's being adopted by teachers, which was a big deal for my mom because my mom always wanted to be a teacher. And, uh, and then so flash forward to less than two years ago, my niece, my brother's daughter, gets for uh, a Christmas present a you know one of those 23andMe ancestry test kits. Does the test kit, boom, uh, gets a hit. You have an aunt living in California who you've never met, and meanwhile, uh, my half sister says, boom, you have a niece living in Washington State you never met, mm. and uh, you know and it was amazing. And so my mom, you know, what was it, six months before she passed on, was yeah. finally able to meet her long-lost daughter via Zoom. And she was actually planning to come up and visit, but my mom passed very unexpectedly and very suddenly. But very happy, in large part, because she had finally got to meet her daughter. Yeah. Um, Half-daughter. And, and so... No, total daughter. 
Yes. Yeah, of course. Her tall daughter. My half-sister. <laughs> Durr. That's how lineage works. I know how this works. Uh, let me check the Klingon subtitles. I'm sure Paula is uh, correcting that for me. Um, so, uh, we met her and uh, spent the night on, you know, in the RV on the street in front of their house. Is what we did. Everybody we visited basically yeah. hung out uh, you know, on We're the street the best in front of the house. You don't have to do your laundry. Oh, yeah. Or... You don't have to make up your guest room or anything. We bring <laughs> our own house with us. So we went out and had dinner with her and, you know, met her and got to know her and her husband. And it was, that was really wonderful. It was, yeah, really good. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, then the next day we kept driving south and we uh, headed through all the haunts of my childhood. I grew up in central California in little tiny towns just outside of Sacramento or north of the Bay Area. And so we went to, I don't know, am I not supposed to say childhood towns because that could lead to identity fraud if there's like an mm. identification question, where did you grow up? No, kind I of guess. Thing. Yeah, Should probably. I not say? Yeah. Alrighty, well, I won't say, but we went to went to one of the... Well, I mean, no, there's no identification thing of what marina did you live in when you were 11 years old? <laughs> sure. So we went to Owl Harbor, which was still there, uh, just outside of Rio Vista. And um, it was you know, a nice marina. It was a, I, it was not nice when I grew up there. <laughs> it was a scrubby little hole in the wall marina. But now it's like they've got a gate and you have to get buzzed in and stuff. <laughs> that was amazing. They had pretty flowers in a rose garden. Oh, man. And, and it was just so transformed from what I remember as a child. I looked but, at that and I went, oh, man, I could live out here. Yeah. But it was the same docks. Yeah. I, I'm almost positive it's the exact same actual docks as when I was a kid. So, I mean, that was really wonderful seeing that, seeing one of, you know, the uh, the town that I lived in probably from age five to age nine, which is probably like the, the closest thing I had to any sense of consistency in my early, because, you know, we were very vagabondish, like my mother's family before me, um, living on a boat and all that. So we went there and, you know, tried to find my old house, which was gone. Um, but my, my grandmother's house in the same town, it was there, but it didn't look anything like I remembered it. Mm -hmm. I think it probably was a different house, too. Ah. But um, but the but, funny thing was, we pull out from where your house should have been. Yeah. And we go a block and a half. Yeah. To the school. Oh yeah 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 no because I remember <laughs> I remember I have very fond memories being a, a young child having the freedom to just roam all over the town. You know that's the way it was back in the seventies. You know parents uh, weren't too terribly worried about such things because they had not been scaremongered by the media with a whole bunch of lies that makes uh, you know multiple generations of parents think that they have to chauffeur their kids around. Well, no, your kids are fine and you're they're not in danger all the time. That's just more media fear mongering to get you afraid to make you. Oh, Jen says move on. Well, we'll save that for the politics portion later. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that's the way it used to be. Yep. Um, I mean. and, and I very clearly remember it. It was such an awesomely epic trip for me to go from my house to the school every day on my bike or on my skateboard, depending on how I got there. And then we do it again and like, it's like two and a half blocks. That's it. <laughs> it's like nothing. I mean, you can practically see the school when you come around the corner from my house. But it, to me, as a little kid, that was the thing. I mean, there uh, about all, the only recognize, truly recognizable thing in the whole town was the convenience store that was there in the seventies. Oh, and it had, uh, you know, you're not supposed to say it because then they'll know what the town is because you could look it up. Because there's no other convenience store in the world named oh, that. All right. Um, and we're not supposed to give away my childhood home in case. Somebody wants to try and do identity fraud. But anyway, it was still there. Um, <laughs> but totally unrecognizable except for the name, which is very, uh, very unique. And uh, 
yeah, so that was that was pretty amazing, and we didn't really go into any other towns, but yeah, that was kind of nice. And then we was that before or after Tammy that we did that? After. That must have been after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then from there, we just kept driving to get to. Well, remember we went to that campground before we went to Owl Harbor, but you know that was really nothing all that special, yeah, yeah, yeah. was it? Yeah. It was just something to do that was close yep. by. Okay. So then we kept heading south, and I, we the next stop yeah. was your sister. Yep. Was that correct? That's correct. Before we go to James? Yep. And we ended up spending like a week and a half at your sister's place, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think so. Maybe even two weeks. Yeah, she has a big plot of land she bought many, many years ago when it didn't cost who knows how much it costs now. Well, um, it still but, but costs it was completely a pretty penny and, and she spent basically 20 years developing it into, she and her husband spent, what, must be 20 years, yeah, right? Yeah, I think it's 20 Turning years. Turning that from just a, an empty lot scrub to a really nice place. And uh, so we stayed there and went and saw uh, Jen's niece in a, a high school or no, a local community production of Adam's Family, the musical. Yep. And went into a local town. You know, uh, so, oh, we saw saw the Marvels in 4D. Oh, we did. I very much like the, the Marvels, but I am not going to do 4D again because they were. 4D, for folks who don't know, is a form of movie theater going experience you can have where the chairs rock around like a roller coaster ride and they'll spray water in your face or blow wind when you know somebody's flying through the air or something like that. And they have smoke machines and whatnot. And uh, you know, so it's supposed to really immerse you in the movie. And for a lot of it was very, very cool. Really, uh, you know, but it was really cool when it was subtle. Yeah. Like in the early shots where she was flying through space and just like kind of coming over a mountain and, you know, and the seats would lean forward gently and so as we were anticipating. And those were cool. But unfortunately, every single fight scene, they, oh, let's make it feel like you're actually getting punched with every punch. Yeah. And there were a lot of punches and a lot. And that, and that was just all annoying. Yep. And, uh, you know, so that was unfortunate. But that was fun. And while we were there... One of the things that happened is we had bought some a couple of electric bikes, e-bikes, via before our first trip, yeah. In uh, you know earlier this year, and we had taken them and they were pretty successful. We were we didn't use them that much, yeah. But they were pretty successful we, for what we used them, and we said, okay, this is great. We used them at the Grand Canyon to get around because that's such a big area, yep. And they were great in the snow and all that, so we were very very happy with them. We're looking forward to using them more, but over the summer. As we were getting, you know, preparing and thinking about what's this trip going to be, Jen's died. The controller on it died, and these were like almost cheap, no-name uh, Chinese uh, called Rattan, R-A-T-T-A-N. I cannot recommend Rattan bikes, I'm afraid to say. Although, to be fair, the Chinese company did give about as good a customer service as you could possibly hope for, because they did answer their emails and they did send out replacement parts and all of that. But it took months and months and yeah. months. And we're like, are we going to have? Are we? Are we only going to have one e-bike? What is going to happen? And you know, the parts that were ultimately were necessary, they weren't going to show up in time. So they got mailed down to Jen's sister's place. And when we got down there, that was one of the things that on the list of things to do was install this new control controller um, in Jen's bike. And we did, or I did. It was hard. But I did, and we went for a bike ride, and everything was great. And uh, after about a half a mile, her bike died again. And after three quarters of a mile, my bike died in the same way. And at that point, we're like, well, what are we going to do now? I mean, even if we could get more replacement parts, we just don't trust these bikes anymore. 
And so yeah, we're going to Mexico. Yeah, we're going to Mexico <laughs> where we're not going to be able to get parts mailed to us and whatnot. So we ultimately decided, uh, you know, Jen's sister's husband is a very handy guy. And so we're the best aunt and uncle ever. <laughs> um, we gave them gifts of broken e-bikes. If they can <laughs> fix them, they're very, very good. Really, really comfortable to ride, really rugged and all that, but uh, their controllers seem to die. Have you even heard anything about them, if they've actually started working on them at all? No. Yeah. So anyway, we left them, but that was another thing we did while we were there. Then we ended up, it was one of the reasons we ended up staying longer than we thought, because we were in the Bay Area and we were trying to test ride other bikes, because we still wanted to have e-bikes for when we crossed the border. And uh, so there were a few different stores where you could, oh, come and test drive this, and if you like it, order it, and we'll get a, a commission and stuff like that. So we, um, Jen, fat, we rode some bikes that Jen really liked. But then um, I want to try a different one, and Jen liked that one so much. You're like, okay, this is what I have to do, because Jen was originally thinking we have to get smaller bikes, the bikes with you know smaller wheels, 22 or 18 inch wheels, 20 inch no. wheels. I forget. I think 20 inch wheels like as opposed to 26 inch wheels. So you know the smaller, kind of medium sized bikes that can fold, that just have more flexibility, that aren't as heavy. Uh, there's a lot of upside to them. They're electric starting with an L, is the most popular brand. And we actually test drove some of those. And we were this close to pulling the trigger on. But then I wanted to try a full-size bike. And so we tried some Aventons. And Jen tried it too and said, oh my god, I can't not. This is, it has to be this. Yeah. It's the first bike I've ever ridden on. Like I could feel like I'd corner on and all that. It just has big grippy tires. And it's, yeah. it just feels so sturdy. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I mean, it has been, you have not ridden a full-size bike mm. since you were in your 20s. Yeah. Since we lived in Seattle. Yeah. Because, you know, when we moved to London, you got that tiny little Bromley. And I think you had just forgotten what it's like to ride a proper full-size bicycle. <laughs> Probably. Um, yeah. So we ended up getting a couple of those and uh, then left the, uh, what's it? the Or no, we ended up ordering a couple of those to be picked up in Los, or Los Angeles when we were going to stop there. And, uh, and then and left the other ones, with, you know, as, as a gift to the to the niece and nephew if they can get them running. And we just had to take a bath on it. But that's a very good gift if they can get them running. Yeah. Um, and I'm so, sure they will. Yeah, I'm sure they will. They're all very handy people. So then we continued heading south. And I don't remember where we stayed. We have no... Well, we... We have no notes in this book. This book has not approved the, 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 the journal. Oh, well. Okay, um, well, we stayed at that um, that farm, remember, near, um, out in the, kind of the wilderness. Um, it was down kind of near uh, Pacine's Ranch or something like that. Pacine's Ranch, okay. That was a harvest host. Yeah. Remember? Anyway, it doesn't matter. It was, it was nice, but it's fine. And then we went on over to Fresno. <gasps> oh, wait, I might be out of order. Fresno's way up north. No, Fresno. No, Fresno is where... No, no, no. Okay, yeah, Central Valley. James so, is. James, so that was it. Was We were trying to get from the Bay Area to Fresno. So we stayed somewhere between... Oh, and th this is Pacing's when we had the, uh, the overnight uh, just on the top of the mountain kind of a thing. And then the next day as we were coming down the mountain, we stopped at the Fruiter something or other. Casa de Fruta. Casa de Fruta. Jen's yeah. uh, probably one of the favorite things she's seen so far on this trip <laughs> was Casa de Fruta in Central California. Yep, that was yummy. Yeah. Um, yeah, they had all, all sorts of fruits and stuff there. Yeah. And so we pulled into uh, Fresno, where my cousin Liz, who I'd never met, uh, he's in it must be in his late twenties, maybe early thirties, married, couple kids. Yep. But you know, he was born, uh, you know, when Jen and I, after Jen and I had moved to Europe, 
and just, no, I can't be. Is that right? Well, if he's 30 now, that would have been 93. We hadn't. No, we, we had not moved yet. No. But we were living in Texas and. I think it bent at that point, but yeah. anyway. Anyway, never met him. And, uh, but I've had a lot of dealings with him over the years because of joint ownership of Ham, uh, uh, you know, my last name, Ham, Ham family assets <laughs> that had been bequeathed 50% to my family and 50% to his family. And it was all kinds of complications and legalities and all that. that he had always been a trooper champion helping us work our way through. And so we went and met him and, oh, we did. Spent before we met him, we spent the night in the uh, the razor wire parking lot of a <laughs> auto repair place. Yep. Because Jen heard a sound in the back of the RV that really worried her, and she thought, "Oh my God, the whole thing's going to fall apart. We have to stop and have somebody li listen to this when we were at certain speeds on the freeway." And so we stopped, and they said, "Look, Lee, we don't hear anything. We'll put some." Stuff in your stuff. Some stuff in your stuff if you want, but we don't think you should. We, we don't want to take your money. And like Jen said, put the stuff in the stuff. And they said, okay, well, maybe whatever it is you're hearing, it'll get rid of it. Maybe not. And uh, it didn't. But eventually, uh, a few nights later, we stayed at some place that was relatively close to a freeway. And so we could hear trucks all night. And Jen heard, oh, every single one of those trucks makes the same sound. Yep. It's apparently that we've always made that sound and she just never noticed it. Yep. And so it's it's the hum of the tires on the road, basically. The hum of the tires on the road. It makes a certain resonant yep. wailing noise. At a certain speed. Yes. So uh, so that was that was a silly misadventure for no particular reason. The main thing we have learned is every time we tr we hear a sound and we try to fix it, we just make things worse. Because then Jen started hearing other new sounds a few nights later a few days later yeah. as we continue to drive south. And I have told myself, this is a rattle box. It makes noises. Yes, it does. The guys up there said everything was fine. There was nothing to be concerned about. They looked at all the stuff. Yep. Jim is just concerned that, oh, no, this new noise, they must not have tightened something, as if it was that simple. At one point, we actually did stop, and we got out and crawled around underneath the RV, and like, okay, what do you think is loose? <laughs> And what did and you, you look discover? At all the stuff under there. There's no freaking way I'm going to ever be able to point at something and go, oh, well, clearly that nut right there needs yeah. tightening. <laughs> That's what I was hoping to see. Yes. But there's a lot of stuff under there. Yep. <laughs> so, so I've just decided this thing rattles and it makes noises and it's going to be fine. Yep. But that was not the end of our rattling misadventures. Um, so we, uh, we met James and his wife and their kids, and uh, that was all very nice, and then took off the next day. And uh, our next plan was to stop in L.A. Um, we must have stopped someplace between. Yeah, we did. There in L.A. Was yeah. there anything of note or interest there? I can't even remember. Isn't that horrible? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's well, we, horrible. That's what we have this we, for. We crossed over the mountains and we went to Death Valley and we stayed in the Mojave, yes. Mojave Desert. Yes. Yeah, so we kept going south from Fresno and um, we could have probably made it to L.A. in one day, but we thought, nope, 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 let's not push ourselves. It's definitely one of the things we're trying. Anytime we drive more than a couple hours, uh, you know, maybe three at the most, things get stressful. And we're like, hey, we're not supposed to be stressed. So we have our, our house with us. We don't have to be anywhere at any particular time. Just stop. Two hours. We stop. We're done. And so we ended up staying on the outskirts of Death Valley. Yep. We took the... Uh Oh, let me see if I can see what freeway it's this near, is. It's near an Air Force base. Yeah. I don't remember what. Uh, it's Highway 58. 
Mm-hmm. Over to Mojave, basically. Oh, yeah. It was just outside Mojave. That's yeah, right. Yeah, we saw the International Spaceport yes, in yes. Mojave. Yep. So we, we stayed the out in the there. desert just outside of Mojave. Yep. And I think we stayed there a couple of nights, didn't we? We did, yeah. We yeah. did. Just de-stress again about Yeah, yeah. It. I mean, it, but that wasn't originally the plan. But that was, okay, this is nice. This is um, comfortable. And it was another boondocking. We just were out in the middle of the desert. Thing. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So that worked out pretty well. Uh, one of the nicest things about doing boondocking is when a place where we're comfortable, we can just leave the door open. The dogs can just wander, and they can like they're oh they're wild wolves again and <laughs> get in touch with their with their uh, animal selves. Yep. But so that we did that for a couple of nights, and then we uh, pulled into Los Angeles, which is altogether far too large. It is way too big a place, unfortunately, because I had originally hoped, oh yeah, let's stay for a couple weeks in Los Angeles, and and I'll do some filming with the Brothers Murph, and and Paula Deming, and I'll do a game night with Board Game Geek, and we'll do some live stuff around. I, I, you know, there's so many board game people in um, L.A., and I figure I'm gonna see them all, but. Los Angeles is a huge place, and mm. getting from any place to any place else is a nightmare. And it was right after the ten had caught on fire. Oh yeah, and the, and the, 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 there was a, a major arterial freeway had caught on fire and been destroyed. So there was like epic, you know, once in a decade style Uber traffic everywhere. And we're like, okay, I'm not going to do any of that. We're going to swing by Shay's apartment, pick up a couple of games that I had to pick up from him, and then just go east to where Ruel is, because Ruel is like, I guess, like an hour east of Shay or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. That's without traffic. And uh, the original plan was to hang out in front of uh, Ruel's house, like we had done at James's house and uh, my sister's house, uh, Tammy. And... Uh, when we got there, uh, Rose in the middle of a bunch of stuff. So like, okay, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on, but you know, we'll, we'll hang out tomorrow. And like, okay, that's fine. And so we we parked, you know, but we were very uncomfortable in his neighborhood because we were getting the stink eye from people out walking their dogs, and and we're like, oh, I just don't know. Yeah. I mean, this hasn't been a problem anywhere else, and it and it, it, Rose lives in a really nice little neighborhood. Yeah. It was absolutely lovely. But we couldn't park outside his house because of the way the trees were. Remember? Yes, that was the problem. We had to park around the corner about a block away from his house. Kind of by the mailboxes, too. Yeah. So we felt, like, disconnected. We felt like we were just transients. And uh, you know, we put a sign in the window saying, hey, we're, we're staying with this person. If you have any questions, call and whatnot. But we were still just getting stink eye from people. Yeah. And we ultimately told Ruel the next day, you know what? I don't know. Uh, if we could stay right in front of your house, because then we're like connected to you, but the uh, like I said, the trees in front of his house were too low, and we just didn't think of that. Yeah. We had looked on Google Maps where he lived, and yeah, okay, we should be able to park right there. Oh, yeah, those trees are really low. Yeah, um, and we weren't going to ask him to chop down any trees on our behalf, so <laughs> we only ended up staying at Ruel's place one night, and then we uh, went on early to a uh, friend of Jen's that she has known for a couple of decades. Yeah, long time. Um, you know, met him. Fo is not his name, but when uh, Jen was a die-hard, hardcore addicted to EverQuest and was a member of the Sylvan Rangers <laughs> as one of their de facto druids. No, you were you were a. I had a ranger and a druid. You were a ranger and a druid. Um, uh, she became friends with this guy whose username was FO because he was the guild's forward observer, FO. And to this day, we still call him FO. And so we ended up staying with at his place longer than we originally planned. Yeah. Over Thanksgiving, had Thanksgiving dinner with him oh, and his so family. I was so lucky that that worked out. Yep. Ultimately, ended up hanging out with Ruel too, with uh, Ruel and Michelle, and that mm. was awesome. Wish we could have spent more time with oh, the I two know. of them. Yeah, you but again, it was all just all of this time. I don't know where it all goes. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. 
So we uh, we spent, I guess it was all told about a week in L.A. Yeah, but because... Oh, that's right, yes. So we get to L.A., and one of the things we're going to do is pick up those e-bikes uh, that we had ordered back up in the Bay Area, and we get them, and they're amazing. We love them. These uh, Aventon uh, bikes are phenomenal. But it turns out that at exactly 16.6 miles an <laughs> hour... Um, they the uh, rear brake rotor resonates in such a way that it makes this really horrible high pitched grinding noise, and it did it for both our bikes, and we hated it. And um, our timing could not have been worse. We show up when everything is shut down for Thanksgiving. Aventon themselves they're shut down for like half a month. It no. seems like, and so the bike shop is closed. They can't get Aventon to get feedback. And I go on Reddit and I find this thread with a bunch of people reporting the same problem. And they say, well, change rotors. And so the bike shop changes rotors and just nothing fixes it. And we're like, oh my gosh. And, and we end up staying there for like an additional three days longer trying to deal with this. Yes, because of course the bike shop is closed on Sundays and Mondays. And Thanksgiving was the Thursday before. Yeah. And it was just, ugh. It was just the timing could not have been worse for everything. If we had just bought them in the Bay Area, it all would have been fine. And that's certainly one of the things we are learning on this trip. You know, bird in the hand. Forget about down the road. Do it now. Yep. Um, if this is good and it's in front of you, don't wait because the perfect timing. Oh, but if we wait and we get it over here, then we can do this other thing. And we No, just get it now. Life is too short. Um, so we tried to get these bikes fixed. And this is another example of an errant sound. Um, because mm. the bikes themselves, there's nothing wrong with them. They just they seem to have this defect. And... Um, Nothing could be done, so we eventually just kind of gave up. Because at first, the bike shop, they were really friendly and really up with it. And they said, yeah, we hear it too. Boy, this is really bad. And they did a bunch of stuff, and ultimately nothing would fix it. And after the fifth time of us coming back saying, you know, it's still a problem, they were kind of smiling through gritted teeth. They're like, oh, God, these people again. Jeez Louise. Uh, this." Um, yeah, and it's not like they're not super busy because it's Black Friday yeah, and exactly. all that stuff. Yep. And oh, it was awful. So we eventually just got to the point where we're like, oh, maybe we should just live with it. And yeah, just try just... very hard not to go 16 miles an hour. <laughs> try okay, you know, you know, try to skip through 16. Okay, below 14 is fine. Over 18 is fine. Uh, just pedal harder to get up to 20. <laughs> and I mean, because it's really unfortunate for me, the eco mode, which will give you the maximum range and actual actively pedaling, puts me at exactly 16.6. It's like the perfect speed to go. Yeah. But now we just have to push a bit harder to go faster or go a bit more leisurely slow. We um, anyway though, so that was that, and then we headed south yeah, uh, we, to San Diego. We, we finally got out of their hair. They were like, yes. you know, they're very gracious. But yeah, we, that was not the original plan. So we continued on south to San Diego, where a big fan of the Rod of Booster been supporting us through Patreon, through Kickstarter. I mean, I'd known him online. He's always kind of angling for Apollo's job, pointing out goofs that Apollo misses and stuff oh like that. Oh my gosh, that. really? Oh no, he, he just sees the videos sometimes before Apollo because he's a Patreon backer uh, and Patreon backer see videos early. Yeah. And he would often, hey, here's some notes for Apollo to add, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> oh, he's awesome. So, yeah, so yeah, so we, you know, they've been so nice and so supportive for us over the years. We've like, well, we really should stop and say hi. Um, and so we did. And now Jen has a new best friend, as it turns out. Yeah. Uh, because his wife, Nancy, Jen loves Nancy so much. <laughs> so much. And uh, as we were leaving a few days later, Jen said, ah, Nancy and I are going to be friends for the rest of our lives. I just know it. Um, yep. because, and, and you and Nancy are very alike. We are. In a we? lot of ways. Yeah, it I was know. weird, freaking I know. out I was that like, you two are alike. Yep, I know. 
Yep, you could have been. She's like my sisters. sister. Yeah, I know. Uh, so we ended up staying with them for and played a bunch of games with them. Uh, played way too much Gone Shown Clever for my taste. Oh, husband. Uh, everybody else loved it though. I just it's too abstract for me. But we played a bunch of games with them and with uh, some of the game groups. And then uh, while we were there, there was uh, a person had just backed very in a big way on Patreon. Said, "I'm just backing. I'm not sure if I'm doing this right. I just wanted you to do a shout out for my wife because she really loves your show." And I said, yeah, sure, of course, no problem. They said, well, okay, well, if you could say, you know, her name and that she plays purple and that she lives in San Diego, so she knows she's talking, uh, you're talking about her. And I'm like, we're in San Diego right now, dude. Uh, you want to play a game? And so we went out and uh, met them and saw, what was it, the sea lions? and Yeah. Uh, where was that? Um, some, po- some bay, some port, some real... Some famous place that people come it, from like, all around. I think it was La Jolla. La Jolla, La Jolla yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. Was it? I don't remember. I anyway. Be- yes, it is. Uh, yeah. So we went and saw the Sea Lions and played a game with them. And uh, they hit it off really well with the other Rotto Runs Through backer. Because, of course, hey, if you watch my show, chances are you're of a certain mindset. You have a, probably a certain predilection. Because you can only stand to listen to me uh, go on about Care Bearness so long uh, if you're not a Care Bear yourself. So they hit it off really well. And, uh, you know, made me think, once again, I should really have a Rado runs through convention at some point. Ugh. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. That would be a lot. So, yeah. I don't know if there were any other particular adventures to talk about in San Diego. Oh, well, we went to the zoo. That oh, was yeah. Really we cool. went to San Diego Zoo, which was amazing. Yep. Nancy took us to the zoo, unfortunately. And that was the day after you played Ark Nova for five hours? Or was that the day before you played Ark Nova for five before. hours? The day before. Okay. Yeah. Thank goodness. Actually, you know, Ark Nova was great. It's just, unfortunately, too minutia bound. Mm. Anyway. But anyway, um, yeah, so they took really good care of us as well. And um, we decided at that point, we'd ordered the new rotors mm-hmm. for the bikes. Yeah. And so that was part of being in San Diego was taking our bikes to the bike shop and getting the rotors replaced yes. to see if we could get rid of this noise. Yes, the people on Reddit, one person suggested, hey, yeah, I've got that sound too. I just bought these rotors. Oh my gosh. I bought these rotors for 10 bucks on Amazon, fixed so we're like, okay, we'll order those rotors, and we'll have some other bike shop do it in San Diego. And that was a nightmare. Because, <laughs> uh, of course. Because the shop. Anyway, the first problem is, hey, let's not buy the $10 ones. Let's buy the $15 ones that have this cool, shiny, iridized finish. And Because they have the same rotors. should be fine, and they look really pretty. Why not? And it turns out they were not iridized. They just had some kind of paint on them. Yep. And the paint would come off and gum up the... Uh, Brake pads. The, the brake pads or, you know, the caliper, the brake calipers. And we're like, oh, my gosh, okay, we got to get those. Now we got to order other ones, and we're get, we really need to leave. And we were really under pressure. Janet originally wanted to cross the border on December 5th because it was meaningful for you because that was your dad's birthday and all of that. Yep. And we ended up not doing that because these bikes, trying to get this sound fixed, just, just drug on and on. We had nothing but stress about it in L.A., and then we had nothing but stress about it in San Diego as well. Yep. And we ultimately got something that is now better than what it originally was, but it's still a problem, and we have decided to just live with it. Yep. When we eventually get out of Mexico, we will get Aventon on the phone and say, WTF, man. We you paid have ex- full price for these bikes. These were, well, Black <laughs> Friday full price for these bikes. They were freaking expensive. Look at these threads. I'm, you, you've got dozens of people reporting the same problem. Could you please fix it? Uh, and we'll have be well within our year warranty. Yep. But in the meantime, we'll just have to live with it. Yep. And in the meantime, we spent three, four hundred dollars on bike shop fees. On bike shop to- fees, trying to repair this over and over again. It's been a freaking nightmare. Um, but anyway, 
Uh, yes, but we do like the bikes. But oh yeah, the bikes themselves are great. There's another thing other than they just make this really annoying um, sound at a very easy to achieve speed. <laughs> um, yeah. Maintain speed. All right, so we eventually then did leave. Yep, and they for, they were just so kind and let us stay a couple of extra days. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They were all fantastic. Of this bike stuff repaired. It was yep. awesome. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and I think we probably both gained about 10 pounds at their house, didn't we? Because they were feeding us such great food. Yeah, I mean, I would say gourmet-level food. Yeah, and food. Nancy is an amazing cook. Yeah, yeah. So that was such a yep, such a pleasure. So we uh, we went on south, stayed at... In El Centro. In El Centro. Uh, stayed at... No, it was a little town outside of El Centro where there was a, uh, oh, right, Indigenous the, Peoples Museum. Yes, right? yes. Let me see if I can find that. So we'll try and find. So, you know, there were another thing we found through Harvest Host where, hey, just come okay. and tour the museum and you can stay in our parking lot overnight. And we did. And we bought some stuff in their gift shop to, you know, uh, make it worth their while. And, and it was a very nice little thing and Jen's trying to find the name of it. But was it was really it, interesting to me. Uh, oh, it was in Ocotillo. The desert... Um, oh. The desert... Something like it was in Ocotillo, she said. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just not. I'm sorry. She it. has a microphone. You can hear her just as well as I can. I don't have to repeat what she's saying. <laughs> um, if Jen can find it. But anyway, we stayed there and then went into El Centro, which is one of the places. Well, no, it's not El Centro. It was further east. We had to keep going from El Centro. No. El Centro is, is where, where we the, crossed the border. Where, where we crossed the border? Yeah. Okay. Um, also Mexicali. El Centro, Mexicali. <laughs> uh, yeah, El Centro, Mexicali. It was interesting to me because. Um, my mom was born in El Centro, and I she had told me that only recently. So I'm like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Um, neither here nor there, just an interesting bit of trivia. But anyway, so we uh, gassed up, propaned up, yep. got prepared, headed towards the border. Didn't really get there till like 1 in the afternoon, which is mistake number one. Uh. Everybody says, get there first thing. You have first light, cross. Yeah. Like, nope, we got there in the afternoon. Some of the YouTubers we've watched, they're going there at 6 a.m. in the yeah, morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did not do that. We got there at 1 in the afternoon. So, height of business, very busy, lots of people trying, go, go, you get me. We were like, I mean, lots of pressure, high stress, trying to drive this gigantic bus through super tiny lanes that are made for cars. And everybody but us knows exactly what to do and where to go. And we're just in everybody's way. And, uh, you know, they pull us over and they come in and do a quick inspection. That was all fine. But then Jen had to go and get our visas and you were gone for like half an hour i think probably longer than that yes and in the meantime i'm just sitting there in the driver's seat of the rv blocking everything yep they put a cone behind the rv oh did they i did not see the they cone they did yep because all the other traffic uh, you know but in case you didn't know the uh, u.s mexico border is the busiest uh the most the busiest border in the world and i think the so, tijuana one yeah, not, the not tijuana, the yeah we were one of the lesser ones but still so all the traffic had to go around us everybody hates us and jen meanwhile is on an epic quest to trying to find our visas because oh mistake number two everybody says get your pesos before you go into mexico and jen's like there's there's a bank in this building i'll there just be able is. to go to an atm and just get the pesos there yep and there was a bank and it did not have a cash machine and there was like a 20 minute long wait to try to get pesos and um and ironically they said well look do you just have dollars is this it costs nothing it's like 40 bucks. Just give us 40 bucks. And like, uh, foolishly, we had just spent all of our last remaining U.S. cash um, at the gas station earlier filling up the gas tank because one, gas is a lot cheaper if you pay cash. And two, Jen figured, well, we're not going to need American dollars south of the border. For let's the next not four months. Let's, yeah, let's yeah. not carry them around in the car for four months. Let's just spend all our cash money and we'll just get pesos at the border. And they're like, no. We're the only person you've ever seen come up to your... Do who literally has no money on them whatsoever. Yeah, I had like 
Oh, God, it was awful. And I'm like, I'm showing my credit card, and they're like, they look at me like, lady. And of course, they're Spanish. They're yes. Mexican. They're speaking Spanish. And I'm going, yep. oh, crap, I didn't. Yep. I did and, not uh, do. And they, but supposedly you were supposed to be able to use plastic. And they said, but apparently nobody had ever done this, ever. Because <laughs> everybody comes in with pesos, because you get them before you cross the border, and we did not do that. Well, I, or, you're American, you have cash money, right? You don't need very much. And we had nothing. Yep. And so Jen went to start waiting in line at the bank. And after 15 minutes, they came over and said, no, 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 come back. We think we figured out the credit card machine that <laughs> nobody's ever turned on in five years. We and, think we understand how it works now. Yeah, let's see what we can do. And so then what happened? They brought me back, and I handed them my credit card, and they figured out how to do it. I mean, it took another probably 10 minutes. It was awful. And then, you know, and meanwhile, the entire population of Mexico is passing by me with my cone outside. And I'm just <laughs> sweating buckets. I'm sorry. El Ciento. El Ciento. La Ciento. El, El Ciento. La Ciento. La Ciento. La Ciento. Um, we're, we're picking up some Spanish yes, now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, anyway, eventually they did get it done. And, you know, I'm just thinking, I I don't know. Whatever they charge me is whatever they charge me. And he, he gave me two printouts for each thing. So he's like, I'm only charging you once. Okay. Um, and I'm like, well, okay, even though I had to sign two things. And then he, he ran the credit card again for you. And I had to sign twice on oh, that. Okay. But All it right. turns out, yeah, that was the, the customer copy and the... All right, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, it was just, it was crazy. And I felt like such an idiot... Such an idiot. Yeah, because you, we, because we've been talking about getting pesos for, for half a year. Yeah, and I've been saying, honey, by look, if we just call up our local bank, they'll just go and they'll we'll get it. They're like, no, 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 we'll do it when we get down there. We'll do it on the road. And and like, okay, honey, by you know, we're surrounded by money changers all over the place. They'll just do it for a fee. No, 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 we'll just do it at this bank inside. And then we get there, and the bank has no cash machine, an epically long wait, and. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've done a lot of traveling, and usually there are cash machines anywhere you get. When you enter a yeah. country, there are cash machines, that and you just put your thing here. in, and you get your currency of that nation. Yeah. And it has never been a problem before. Yep. And also, I did try to get pesos no. through Chase Bank at yeah. San Diego in the Bay Area and um, up near San Dimas. And because we ended up staying, staying those places so long, it would have worked. But yes. our original plan was not to stay so long in all of these places. Yes, because it would take three or four days for the pesos you to need, get there. Yeah, you need three and business And our assumption days. was, oh, we'll be on the road. It, it will take too long. When in fact, nope. We, 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 we stayed longer than we thought in Los Angeles. We could have done it there. We stayed longer than we thought in San Diego. We could have done it there. And in the Bay Area as well. Yeah. And we could have done it back in Washington State, too. They would have gotten pesos for us up there also. Yeah. And we had months to do that, but we just never got around to it. Yep. But also, you have to go in and request them in person. And then you have to wait three days for them to show up. Yes. Which, which would have been fine. We've definitely learned our lesson. Yes. Again, yes. as stated earlier. Don't wait. Don't try to do things with peak efficiency. Oh, let's not actually spend an afternoon getting them, you know, two afternoons getting them six months early. Let's wait until we're on the spot because that'll be peak efficiency. Since we already have to go there anyway, we can just get the, you know, Jen was basically playing it like she plays her board games. You know, just make sure everything is lined up. It's all going to come together. And you know what? It works in a board game. It does not work in real life. But anyway, we eventually got out, um, and then, oh, the fun was just beginning, because do not go into Mexico without pesos in your pocket, because it is very difficult. We spent the next, what was the name of that town? Uh, Mexicali. Is it Mexicali, or yeah. is that what's on the Mexico side, and it's yeah, El Centro on the U.S. side? Yep. 
We went to a Walmart that was relatively easy to get to. We figured there'd be a cash machine there. None of them worked. And um, then we figured, oh, well, there's all these uh, Osho's, which is kind of like a 7-Eleven. There's 7-Elevens all over the place, too. Surely one of them happened. Nope, nobody did. We ended up going to like a, a half a dozen different places, getting incredibly stressed because the traffic was a nightmare. And it you're driving this bus. It was incredibly hot. And I got out and, okay, let's, let's driving. I'll actually walk a half a mile. Okay, nope. The place that says, oh, because we also... Um, Jen hadn't gotten the pesos ahead of time, which we could have done. I didn't get our Mexican SIM card for our phone cards, as I could have done anytime I wanted six months before we go. So we have no way to look stuff up without incurring, and we're not going to pay huge, whatever it is, roaming. Buy, buy the Meg, roaming data fees. So we're just trying to do it, figure out what we can, and based on downloaded Google Map data, which is out of date, and every place it says to go to, oh, that bank doesn't exist, and it was a freaking nightmare. We have not been that stressed in a long, long time. Yep. Um, and eventually, we just gave up in being in the heart of Mexicali trying to solve this problem. And then what do you know? As soon as we just give up and start driving out of town, oh, there's bank machines everywhere. <laughs> and there's Osho's everywhere that have these. And so we just, okay, fine. We just uh, kept going. It would have been okay. But anyway, we got out of town and then drove and um, ended up at another boondocking spot north of San Felipe. And uh, we were so traumatized. That's a strong <laughs> word uh, for, for exaggeration. But we were so worn out from our day in Mexicali, that we then stayed out there north of San, 10 miles north of San Felipe, just off the ocean for about a week. Uh, five days, I guess? Yeah. Just did not... Okay, we're not moving ever again. <laughs> we're just going to stay here until we can't, until, um, you know... And eventually we decided to leave. But yeah, we were just out. We were, you know, it was like a five-minute walk to the beach. Yep. Uh, we were using our bikes and, you know, biking around the area and whatnot, and just relaxing and trying to uh, recover from our, our first experience. Yep. And eventually we ended up, uh, we ended that, we, okay, well, we gotta move on. We can't stay here for the whole time. Drinkers <laughs> drive this far just to stay in this random place in the middle of the desert close to a beach 10 miles north of San Felipe. So we stayed at a place in San Felipe for one night. Well, remember, um, we we originally thought we were gonna um, enter the country on the west coast. Yes. And go down, and I had found a vet there that was going to do yes, the I dog. Yes, I still don't know why we didn't do that. Why you made the change? I mean, I know we made the change and went in, you know, in one of the eastern entry border crossings instead of the Tijuana one. I don't know. Yeah. Well, anyway. Um, oh yeah, because one of the things, you know, again, never schedule things because that's when you're always most stressed. But oh, we, yeah. um, and originally we were scheduling another thing, which was okay. We have to be in this little town on the west coast of Baja on this particular day, so that we can get our dogs' teeth cleaned. Because in America, that would co was it six hundred per dog or six hundred for both of them? Six hundred per dog. Six hundred per dog to get your teeth cleaned at all the places up in Washington State. Here, a hundred dollars per dog. And it turns out the um, you know and, and all you know really low cost uh, prescription medication. Gert has an ear infection and. Um, you know, and really good service. And I mean, heck, while they were under, they gave them baths. We did not expect that. <laughs> they came back smelling fantastic. Uh, but anyway, um, so definitely big fans of the medical tourism for veterinarian uh, services in Mexico. But anyway, um, yeah, so. So we had to be in town. In San Felipe, we did it. Yeah, instead to drop of the original off the place we were going to go. Yeah. Right. So, it was, yeah, because we did have to, it was going to be a few days ahead of time, right? Yeah, so I called the vet on Friday, and they said, and they you said, can come in come on, on Wednesday. Right, and so that's okay. That's that's why we stayed, and we were happy to stay where we were and just not move for a while. Yeah. And then it was just yesterday, we were in San, yesterday and the day before, we were in San Felipe, tiny little sleepy town, place where most 
RVers stop for lunch and then keep driving. Because apparently the way it's supposed to work is you go through the border early in the morning when it's not very busy and there's no stress. You already have your pesos and your working cell phone, so you just don't stop in Mexicali at all and keep on driving. Or you stop at the Walmart, you get your stuff and, and you go. And go. You then hit San Felipe, stop to sweet little town, have lunch, and then keep on driving and get to the southern half of Baja all in the first day. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what everybody else does. All the guides we've got is like, what can we do in this area? Oh, we, we, you know, this is just a, this, this is the equivalent of the flyover state. You just drive mm. through here and get to all the cool stuff down in the south. We're like, no, nah, we'll just stay because we're tired. <laughs> and uh, I mean, there's the other reason we moved on because it was starting to get cold too. Yeah. Yeah. 51 degrees in the morning is a little too cold. Yep, yep, yep. That's not what we came here for. So we had to go south. So we finally moved out, um, dropped the dogs off, used our bikes to bike all over San Felipe, had a really nice lunch at the, the taco factory, I believe, yep, which was factory. recommended in one of the guides we've got, and uh, biked all over town to find uh, the best camp paid camp spot uh, in town. And we ended up going to that after we picked the dogs up. And for the first time in quite a while, had a night of power, which was good. Yep. And then uh, that was last night. And this morning, we were deciding <laughs> whether to stay or whether we should go, because we could stay or go. You're one, you're one day off. Because remember, we spent the night at the washout yeah. last night. At the what? At the washout. Oh, my gosh. I totally forgot. Jeez, I've blotted that out of my mind. <laughs> so, okay. So, two nights, uh, you know, two mornings ago, we leave. Um, yeah, I have one more meal. That was very nice. It was a good little town. Stopped and gassed up because we were about down to half a tank. Yep. And uh, really, I mean, I should say for the most part, other than the crossing, we've had nothing but really good interactions. It has not been difficult, even when we're dealing with folks who do not speak English at all. It's pretty easy to get the, uh, their, to, for them to express what they're trying to tell us and what we're trying to tell them. Yep. Uh, we really have had, you know, and everybody's been super friendly and yeah, very nice. And Absolutely. Yeah, so it's been really great. Even, Other than are you going to tell the bank crossing. story from yesterday? I'm so embarrassed. Oh, um, so as but we're we should do that town, as a public service. Yeah, we as we left Mexicali and we did find a cash machine and we got um, some no, 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 no. pesos. I know I'm saying you said Mexicali. Uh, yes, I know. So we had gotten some pesos okay. in Mexicali, but we we're like that was there was only so much you could get. And we felt like we should really have more, so we're just never in a case where we don't have cash anymore. Yeah, and plus the cash machines give you 500 peso notes. And that's not very which good if you... Which nobody can break. Yeah. Uh, which is... Uh, 500 so, pesos is the equivalent of like 25, 30 bucks. Yep. And no one can break that. So nobody... You know, we try to get change. We had like two or three times. We're like, well, crap, how are we going to do this? Um, you know, well, I guess we'll overpay. Yep. And we'll have give them a really big tip. And uh, yeah, we actually did that. Well, the last place we ate, we uh, just had some tacos. And she said, oh, it's three, uh, you know, 350 pesos. And she was kind of confused. She was like the old grandma. And I think she just got confused. And eventually she just said, 350 pesos, <laughs> which was a bit high, quite frankly. And I'm like, OK, fine. That's fine. It was delicious. And so we give her 500. So oh, no change. And we're like, OK. Well, that's all we've got. And so. here you go. Here's a $7 tip. Uh, you know, with the 150 pesos different or a seven or eight buck Whatever, tip. Yeah. And she said, oh, you know, in Spanish, oh my gosh, really? And she started crying. Uh, she was so touched. And we're like, oh my gosh. Of course well, it's we, fine we, then. We need to tip more often then. Yeah. Um, you know, big tips because it certainly made a big difference for her. Yeah. And so and it was, and the food was delicious too. But anyway, we realized we should have more pesos. So, um, There's a, an actual bank. We found an actual bank after that the meal, and we walk in, and Jen tries to use the cash machine to get some more. Which I, I did. After like 15 minutes. Oh, I don't it, know, it wasn't took so that long. long. It wasn't so long. But uh, to be honest, I did put my cash card in, and I did the pin and everything, and it said, you know, withdraw, and I'm like, yes, I want $350. 
And I'm like, oh, crap. No, I need pesos. I need that amount in pesos. So actually, I had to cancel the transaction and then restick my card in right, and all that. Right, because 350 pesos is nothing. Is nothing. That's she like, thought she was typing in dollars, and that was going to be, what, 1,200, 1,500, 2,000 pesos. No, 7,000 pesos. So she was trying to get 7,000 pesos, but... That's what she needed to type in. Yeah. So, oopsie. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, not a big deal. There was, there was like, it was it a bank started, of yeah, like and, yeah, was four fine. cash machines there. So it but wasn't like then, I was holding anybody up. Yeah. Before we go, but we figure, it okay, it, you, you have a whole bunch of 500s again. Yeah. And got, we're, okay, we're not going to make this mistake again. Nope. Um, so we walk in because it's a bank and there's a teller right there. Yep. So I stand in line for the teller and another little lady standing, comes. Standing, standing, standing. Yep. And, and a little cute little Mexican gal kind of pops in and she kind of walks around in front of us in front of the tellers and then sits down on some chairs nearby. And I'm like, well, that's kind of weird, but okay. All right, we're standing in line. We'll just keep standing in we're, line. We're standing in line here at the teller. And um, a, a teller comes back from lunch or whatever, and she's there. And I keep making eye contact with her, but she's not, like, inviting me over to her area. Mm -hmm. And so finally, she kind of gives me a look, and I think, oh, well, okay, she's ready now. She's checked in or whatever. So I walk over there, and the little lady next to us um, had a, a timed, like a numbered ticket. Yes, apparently we did not see the machine with the button you had to press to get your ticket for in line. So we basically cut the line hugely. Well, we were there before she was, so yeah. it was. I think it was okay. She was very good humored about it, but yeah. nonetheless, always look for a ticket yeah. dispensing machine. Yeah, we were the loud, stupid American gringos who did not understand how anything worked and were just mm. like barging our way in. We don't need your tickets. <laughs> yep. We're just going to walk right up and demand you change our money into smaller denominations. And yeah, uh, was, we were both so mortified. And we hadn't learned yet to say, I'm sorry. Yes, we have since learned. Lo siento. Lo siento. Lo siento. Yes, that is going to be our battle and, cry. Uh, and yeah, everybody seemed to be good natured chuckling at our uh, buffoonery, but I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so we finally got out of town. Yeah, with with smaller bills. Yep. And yep. I didn't realize there was fifty peso notes even. So I was oh, like, "Can right, I have yes, the two hundreds and the one hundreds?" Out longer because you said, "Oh, just give me one hundreds and two hundreds." Because I didn't know. Yeah, but then you, when as she was, you know, trying to get you one hundred two hundreds, who wants that? And you know, trying to get rid of these fifties and swapping with yeah, another. So she had to like, go with. Oh, there's fifties. I'm sorry. Could you start over and give me fifties instead? I didn't say start over. I just gave her like six hundred of pesos back and asked for fifties. Yes. But. Oh, my God. Just awful. I mean, so we're telling you all of these embarrassing things that just mortify us so that hopefully... Yes. Anyway. But anyway, so then we we, we found another boondocking place that was an hour south of town. We said, hey, that'll be a good place because uh, it was by now, it was way late. Yeah, we were... I mean, we, we should have left... We should have been out of that town t hours earlier. Yep. But we eventually get out and we... Because um, you always want to get wherever you're going to go before dark and get set up and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they also say the number one rule of driving in Mexico is... Don't drive after dark. Don't drive in the night. Yes, yeah. yes. So we find this other boondocking place that looks like the place we spent a week at, and it was going to be fine. Just you, you drive along the freeway, you find a road that just goes off to the middle of nowhere, and you follow it, and you... But there were, as we were getting closer, like, oh, there's the north road that heads off in this direction and the south road, and they both kind of meet up. Which one should we take? We don't know. And looking on Google Maps, we decided, okay, well, this one... This one looks straighter. The other one looks like it's a bit more windy, and maybe it's wider, and we drove to that one, and it seemed like it had kind of a rough, rocky start, whereas the north one looked like nice and smooth and easy going, and it was straighter looking at it on Google Maps. Yeah, definitely straighter. And so, okay, we'll drive that one, and we go about, I don't know, a quarter of a mile down this dusty road, and it comes to a burned out, washed out, oh, this is a dead end. And crap, we're now gonna have to back a half a mile out of here. <laughs> and by now it's dark. Uh, it's well, it's getting almost dark, dark, yeah. And so we're like, okay, we're just going to stay here. Yep. Uh, just to, you know, at the, at the end of the road, at this dead end, <laughs> um, this washed out riverbank. 
because <laughs> the road had collapsed, or not the road, this dirt path. Well, there was a, a road around it, but you would have needed to be in a four-wheel jeep, a four-by-four jeep, to get to drive over that. Yeah, definitely. So we chose poorly, and then this morning we got up, and I very slow, I stood, walked backwards while Jen slowly backed the rig up. Uh, to get us out of there till we could do a three-point turn to get out of there. And then we kept on driving. And we originally planned to uh, drive a couple of hours to a spot about an hour south from where we are. But as we were driving by this, uh, which I think I said quite a while ago, is uh, the Black Beach. Yep. Uh, Playa... Uh, the Negro Negrito, or something. Negrito, Negrito, I think. Yeah. Um, and I was like, wow, that looks really nice. And we kept driving, and we're like, we really should have just stopped there. And so a half a mile down the road, we found another place where we could do a three-point turn, um, you know, in the, kind of the driveway of a, oh, before we leave here, we're about a half a mile away from a place called um, Campo Rado. Rado. R-A-D-O. <laughs> I'm assuming it's Rado. I don't think Ray is a sound in Mexican, is it? I think it'd be Ra. Okay. Uh, anyway, so we got to go check that out, Campo Rado. I, I looked at the pictures. I mean, there's no description, no stars, no website, no phone number, but there are pictures, and they seem like they have a very nice restaurant at oh, Campo Rado. Okay. So I feel like we got to get on the bike tomorrow and drive over there and have lunch at Campo Rado okay. or something like that. So we might be staying here for a few days. Uh, we don't have to, but again, if I were to turn the camera around, you'd see it's just beautiful, um, you know, Ryan's both of us very much of the uh, waterfront, the ocean front that we lived at for in Malta for six years. Yeah, I mean the rocks are a different color, but as, yeah, the rocks are a different color. The waves are coming in, crashing on the shore, and it's it's really nice. And yeah. the dogs can run around here. Yep. No worries. So we might stay here for a few days, try the restaurant at Camparado with the e-bikes to get over there, and uh, and then to keep on heading south. And that's uh, what we've done so far, folks. Uh, <laughs> and if you have no questions for us, to send to questionsarrow.com. We might just have to do this again next month and tell you uh, if we've gotten any better at, at Mexico, Mexicoing. Because uh, <laughs> we're learning every day. Yep. But anyway, that was the answer to the personal questions from Joseph and Ramon. And now, uh, my apologies again. There were no dog questions, but there were a couple of politics-y type questions from Grady and Daniel. For folks who don't care about such things, we're going to get out now. Um, we're going to say thanks for listening. Please send more questions to questions at rado.com. Uh, Je- what are you doing, honey? Fine. I'm not going to hang around for the political questions. Okay. Um, right. Jen's going to go in the back. I am turning off her microphone, I think. Did that didn't break anything, I hope. Yep, that seems fine. And, um, right, so, questions. Grady says, do you have any thoughts about the current Israel pal? Oh, wait, I'm sorry, before we do that, uh, thanks for listening, folks, who do want to do the political stuff. Please enter questions at questionsaround.com. And thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you again next month. Right, okay. Now, Grady says, do I have any thoughts about the current Palestine-Israel conflict? Seems there's a lot of people accusing Israel of genocide. Do you think it is an accurate depiction of what is taking place? Um, I don't know the proper definition of genocide. I feel like that's maybe a bit too harsh a word, but apartheid is basically what Israel has been doing for, what, since the late 60s. They have instituted an apartheid state. You know, these days in board gaming, I mean, I've talked about this. In fact, I mean, we, we have such a, a lineage of colonization games. And, you know, the industry is getting more sensitive about not trying to do... Col- let's, not, let's not big up colonization so much. Colonization is actually pretty crappy. Maybe we shouldn't celebrate it so much in our board game designs. Well, um, Israel has been colonizing, um, you know, the Palestinians 
since the late 60s. And um, while what Hamas did is absolutely horrible on, oh, was it October 7th, October 8th, whichever day, you know, the, you know the, their equivalent of 9-11, and it's totally understandable, you know, the shock and horror that uh, the Israelis felt and the, the need to strike back and all of that, I, you know, it, it's, but, you know, it, that, that didn't come out of nowhere. It's, uh, you know, Israel has been pursuing, um, you know, Israel, I mean, go... Go to the Israeli Times and do a search for an article about um, the Israeli government propping up Hamas. Uh, Israel has done everything they can to try to make a two-state solution completely untenable, and they've been doing it for decades, including supporting Hamas in some ways, so that the actual, you know, the Palestinian Authority, who are could be reasoned with, and you, you know, there, there's a chance for actually a peaceful settlement. Uh, they've been completely neutered uh, because Hamas has been, because that has served the right-wing Israelis, uh, Israeli government's interest to have an ascended Hamas uh, because they've. Well, at the end of the day, they can never really do anything, uh, but they keep on driving the fear in our own populace, so they will let us stay in power, and that's what's been going on for decades, um, you know, with various and sundry shades of, um, you know, different things that have happened. And you know what? Uh, you know, eventually it has led to tra- a tragedy. Um, but what has started as a tragedy has become, um, you know, war crimes of, of the war, you know, was it? Uh, shooting fish in a barrel. Uh, you know, telling the Palestinians they have to evacuate south and then um, uh, bombing them as they do so. I mean, there have been so many. I mean, and yes, it's horrible that, what is it, 1,500, 1,600 people who were uh, killed, you know, with the Hamas invasion. But that pales in comparison to the, uh, was it, 15,000 Palestinians who've been killed, over half of whom are children? It's, 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 it's mind-numbingly horrible. And um, yeah, it's uh, it didn't come out of nowhere. And it didn't have to be this way. And it is the result of generations of oppression that have uh, led to this bloody, uh, the, the, the most bloody conflict and no uh, signs of stopping. Uh, yeah, we're going to go in and wipe out Hamas and we'll, nothing will stop us. All you're doing is creating the thing that will come after Hamas with the, in, the indiscriminate bloodshed. Uh, and yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. And I mean, in no way, shape, or form am I an apologist for Hamas. Hamas is a monstrous organization. Um, and it's just unfortunate that the, the right-wing Israeli government... I mean, all you have to do is search for uh, you know, Israeli government props up Hamas. The Israeli Times will tell you examples of how Hamas have always been a useful tool to keep the Israeli um, right-wing government in power. And look at where we are now. It's, or look at where they are now. It's horrible. It's nightmarish. And that's kind of my feelings on the topic, Grady. And then Daniel says, preface one, you said, get off Twitter. I am not on Twitter. Uh, I, uh, the only social media I have is Facebook. Well, good job, uh, Daniel. Uh, and hopefully you're just using Facebook to keep up with baby pictures um, from your cousins and stuff like that. Because that's what Facebook is good for. Certainly don't use Facebook as a news source either. Uh, anyway. Um, uh, number two, agree with everything you said about the right-wing politicians. Disagree about the left, apart from Bernie. He seems great. Question, do you feel the American left is the correct left, and the left in other parts of the world, Scandinavian countries, Germany, for example, need to catch up? Oh my gosh, no. No, 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 no. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned Scandinavian countries. I, we, many years ago, we came so close to living in Denmark, and I kind of wish we had. 
Uh, I kind of wish I was a Danish citizen rather than a UK citizen. Um, if we'd done our time in, or Sweden, uh, or Norway. Uh, yeah, they've got it right. They are the model. And I admit, I understand they're small countries. Uh, you know, they, they, uh, you know, they don't face some of the challenges that bigger, you know, multi-ethnic countries like the United States or the United Kingdom does, but still, that's the vanguard. That's what we want to be shooting towards. You know, true um, democratic socialism like what you see in the Scandinavian countries. That's the high watermark for me. Question two. Are there, is there a right-wing politician or personality who you think is not so bad? Oh, sure. Um, the, these days, the only podcast, Daniel, that I listen to regularly is um, The Ezra Klein Show. And it seems like easily one out of every five episodes of his, he has another right-wing commentator or politician come on. And every time he does, I'm always very, very impressed by these people. And I feel like, well, I can agree to disagree with you on certain things, but we still uh, can find common ground. And so they are out there. Uh, they do just not, they unfortunately have lost control of their party. Um, although things are maybe turning around now because I forget the name. Is it Mike Johnson, the new speaker of the house? He is finally doing the right. I mean, Mike Johnson has a lot of monstrous, terrible, draconian ideas that are totally unacceptable to me, but he is not as bad as what the um, the, uh, the 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 MAGA movement of the uh, United States Republican Party has become, and that MAGA movement that got what was it McCarthy kicked out uh, because McCarthy would not stand up to them and just tried to placate them, and eventually they destroyed him. Uh, Mike Johnson is not doing that, and Mike Johnson is finding parliamentarian tricks to minimize their influence and is working with Democrats to actually make forward progress. So while Mike Johnson has truly horrific ideas, at least he understands that it is important to actually have a functioning government. Um, but if you're talking about a right-wing politician I like, probably my go-to answer would be John McCain. I uh, you know I, I remember him uh, you know back in the heyday of John Stewart on the Daily Show coming on a regular basis and being able to have um, respectful disagreements with John and finding accord on certain ideas and you know and the fact he did stand up to Trump um, you know and you know the the MAGA movement and said no this is a bridge too far ever since you know when he was running for president against Obama. And, I mean, it was very famous. There's this video, you, can, you won't have a hard time finding it, where uh, a sweet old lady who had been fed a lifetime of lies about how, um, you know, Democrats are monsters, uh, or literal devil worshippers, how um, Obama is it was a closet Muslim trying to bring about Sharia law in America. And this is just standard lies that rank-and-file Republicans believe because that is what their politicians lie to them about. Anyway, this little old lady said, um, you know, in, in a town hall when John McCain was running for president against uh, Obama, but, 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 but he's a Muslim. And, you know, and, you know, it was, start, it was gonna say some, you know, I'm not going to say this lady was a racist, but she was ignorant of certain things and was about to unleash a racist screed. And um, John McCain stopped her and said, no, ma'am, no, 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 no. Um, Barack Obama, you, you've been fed lies. He's not a Muslim. He's just a good, decent American. And I respect him. And now he didn't handle that perfect because the way he put that made it sound like, oh, well, you can't be a good, decent American if you're a Muslim. But that's not what he meant. I will give John McCain 
um, some grace in that he did the right thing. He didn't say it as smoothly as he could have, because I am sure he was just shocked to come face-to-face with a pre-MAGA, um, you know, what, what is now standard, um, you know, was still a bit unheard of back in 2008. So, um, yeah, uh, but he stood up to that. And even if he didn't quite do it as well or as smoothly as he could have, I think his heart was in the right place. So he is certainly a, uh, a, a Republican politician that I, I, I respect. Okay, number three. Uh, Daniel, found one of uh, AOC's lies. And you have a link uh, for Alexandria. Right, so. Um, but then you follow. But I had already admitted that uh, my side might fib. So you're correct. Yeah, I think I looked at this link, and it was basically a link to an article where um, Cortez, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, in trying to make a point about something, exaggerated some figures, and she was called on it, and she said, well, you know what, yes, maybe I got some of the numbers wrong, but the underlying issue is still there. Don't worry about the numbers. Let's actually try and solve the problem. And so... This article uh, pushed back saying, well, yeah, but you might as well get the figures right, too. You, you don't have to artificially inflate them. And I will grant you, Daniel, that's human nature. I do it all the time. I, and so I, I, I agree, uh, you know, a politician should be held to a higher account and, you know, can't exaggerate for effect. And, yeah, and so, or is that, uh, you know, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez was guilty of maybe um, exaggerating some statistics to make her point. But that is, because this is a follow-on from your earlier thing, that is a universe different from Donald Trump descending on the elevator and announcing to all the world that the Mexican government purposely sends rapists across the border to rape white women. And that's how Donald Trump opened his presidential campaign, with that blatant, blatant lie. Not an exaggeration. A lie. And everything he has done since then, with a few exceptions here and there, has just been worse, compounding lie upon lie upon lie. Um, anyway, though, so that to your, the question from last month, there's a world of difference between um, the left, who occasionally get things wrong, maybe misspeak, tend to correct themselves, tend to admit and agree, yes, you're right, I misspoke there, let me try to get it right, as opposed to the right, who just double down on bigger lie after lie after lie and make some sweet little old lady at a town hall for John McCain believe that, one, Barack Obama is a secret Muslim, and two, that means the end of America if he's elected. That's what that little old lady believed. I'm sure the sweetest, most charitable, kind-hearted woman you'll ever meet in your life. But that's what she believed because of a lifetime of lies, not fibs, as you say, or exaggerations. Out and out lies. And that's the difference between the two sides, which I know this is a follow-on from that question um, because this was also part of that question, which I just didn't finish. Anyway, though, um, anyway, uh, it seems like in my country, the members of the ruling dictator's party, and actually, Daniel, I have no idea what your country is. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, the ruling dictator's party blatantly lie. Not just that. It feels like they deliberately make the lies as crazy as possible because the people who vote for them um, won't want to admit that they've been believing these lies for 10 years. Do you think this is what happens in America? I think you've really hit on something there, Daniel. I think that is actually a very, very good point. And I think, oh, did I do this thing where... All right, anyway. Um, yes, I... It's not something I ever thought about. I mean, I do know, because I've been watching it happen. There are... I admit, uh, a guilty pleasure of mine these days is to watch... There's another Daily Show correspondent, Jordan Klepper, 
He does these things where he goes to Trump rallies and he just tries to talk to rank and file um, Republican voters who have crazy beliefs that have been, they believe them because they've been lied to their whole life. And he just tries to use logic to point out, well, you see the inconsistency there. And inevitably, they just ignore the inconsistency because they can't reconcile. Because if they say, oh, well, okay, I just said X. And then Jordan, and a lot of channels do this now, uh, proves, well, okay, look, here's, um, you know, here's Ivanka. You said she's great. And here, she supports what you just said, you know, is, is, uh, could never happen. And she said it did happen. And then they just look at it. And they do one of two things. They say, well, that's just fake news uh, because Donald Trump has trained them to, if, if something, if they are presented with proof of, of the lies that they've been led to believe, they have now been trained to say, oh, well, that's fake. That's AI. That's whatever. That's just the lying left media that's in the pocket of George Soros or whatever. Um, they've all been trained to do that. Or their other thing they'll do is they'll just look at it and they'll say, well, I don't know what to think about that, but Trump is great. And then shortly after that, they'll just walk away. And that is because of exactly what you have identified. That what they can't possibly allow themselves to do is have that moment of introspection and say, Oh my God, I've believed a lie my whole life. And not just a little lie of exaggeration or a fib, but an incredible whopper. And I have built my entire persona around this. This is the team I have subscribed to. If I can acknowledge that this is a lie and that therefore potentially everything is a lie, then my entire life is a lie. My parents' life, my grandparents, that we've all been taught these things that, by the way, have always been lies. The last time, last month I mentioned Father Coughlin. Go look him up. Uh, Rachel Maddow did an amazing uh, series. I really need to watch it about him. But anyway, uh, yeah, that's what's happening. The bigger the lie the um, harder it is for the person who believed that lie to come to terms with it. And uh, easier just to keep believing. And yeah, so I think you've really hit on something there. And folks, that is it. Done and dusted. And uh, we have finished another podcast. So I am going to say, in closing, thanks once again for listening. Please send more questions to questions at rotto.com. And we will talk to you next month. So long. Uh, Bye-bye.